nostalgia rages across the land, where everyone and their mother has a podcast, where there's still a movie trailer guy who says, in a world. Three friends revisit films, shows, and games that molded them as they search for answers to life, the universe, and everything in between. Settle in and join us for Screen Refresh. Welcome back to Screen Refresh, a show where we revisit the films, shows, and games from our childhood to try to take another look at what we fell in love with. As always, I'm Tim, and I'm joined by the rest of the Screen Refresh crew, Nick and Dean. Hello there. A howling good day to you. It's the wrong <laughs> franchise. <laughs> so Hey, they still howl. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, true, true. So our little thing that we're going to be doing today for this month is the 1985 Stephen King film, Silver Bullet, based on Cycle of the Werewolf, his novella from, I think, 83. Uh, for yeah, any of you right. that haven't seen this, it is a fun little werewolf romp, a little bit different <laughs> from some of the other werewolf movies, just for the fact that the werewolf designs were, according to the, I think, Dino De Laurentiis was the, the producer. He was not a fan of it, supposedly. Because he said it, it looked like just a bipedal black bear, which was cuddly. I enjoy. Uh, it's a little bit different from the the normal, like the on all fours American werewolf in London style, more canine esque, or some of these other giant ones with like the hulking beast looking things. Uh, so yeah, it's a bit different. It's been fun. Is a bear wolf? It's a what? A bear wolf? It's a bear wolf. Yeah. It's like a dire bear, essentially. I'm just punning. Just punning over here. It's really bad. So, yeah, I, I know I've talked about Silver Bullet multiple times in the past, but for you guys, was this your first viewing? Was this something that you've heard of before? I thought we were watching the Steve McQueen movie. <laughs> oh, Bullet? And when I started watching this, I'm like, this is not about cars. And, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it it's features a, a vehicle. Movie. Features a vehicle. It did. I have plenty of jokes. <laughs> plenty of jokes. For which one? Oh, there's <laughs> several. <laughs> okay. I never heard of Silver, Silver Bullet, I don't think. I mean, it was really... It, maybe in the back of my mind, it's like, Silver Bullet, oh, because of the werewolf you know, lore, but I don't think I ever really heard of this specific movie, so it was new to me as of, you know, several hours ago. Yeah, I'd never, I'd never watched it. Well, I am very happy to have you guys dragged along for this ride. Uh, only because Silver Bullet, I know I mentioned previously, Predator and Silver Bullet, other than Mr. Boogity, were two of the films that <laughs> I wore out on VHS growing up. We had a VHS copy of Silver Bullet that was taped off of USA Network. So it was the TV edit. So I will point out anything that was a little bit different on the version I had on VHS because eventually, once I got older, um, the cousin that I had that had the video store that I mentioned, they ended up letting me have a copy of Silver Bullet that they had there that was the actual version uh, rather than the TV edit. So when I watched it for the first time in the very beginning in one of the first scenes, (laughs) there's a scene that they cut in the TV edit and I was like, whoa, whoa, what is this? So I, I will point out anything that I remember as being awfully different from the version I grew up on. I was about to, I was when that first scene happened, I was like, this is brutal. 
Like, how old was Tim when he saw this? Was he allowed to watch this? Uh, I was, I think, seven or eight. <laughs> and I watched it probably at least three times a week. When I'm yeah. not watching that, I would watch Predator. And then I would watch Boogity in the morning every day of the week as a kid. Wow. I became, I was so. like that with Ace of Ventura at one point. There was like a couple months where I'd watch it daily, but. Not a very not similar films. Bullet. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense now that you said um, you had the TNT edit because I was like, he was either older or his parents didn't know he was watching this. I was like, holy shit! <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, there's some stuff that I don't even think would pass today to be played <laughs> on TV. It deserved its R rating. <laughs> yeah, which the the TV edit was fairly tame. Um, there wasn't really. I don't remember there being a ton of any graphic violence. For the most part, everything was like a cutaway to something else or it cut early, uh, whatever the case may be there. So I'll, as we go on, I'll mention any of those just for anybody else that might be familiar with the TV edit. They can relive it through me. My favorites, my favorites actually like um, language edits. Oh, the big classic example is from Scarface, where they completely redubbed the movie. They didn't censor it; they just redubbed it. So, with how explicit they get through certain scenes, instead of saying like, "You know, I got octopus coming out of my fucking ears," man, they completely change it to something else that makes no sense even in context. <laughs> so, those are always fun because this had this had language in it, but it wasn't it wasn't like over the top, no. right? There no, were I'm no, pretty sure was, there were, it was very I'm so sparingly. desensitized. I'm so desensitized by like F bombs now that I just I don't even acknowledge it anymore. So I don't think there were many, but I'm pretty sure there were. It was pretty sparingly. Right? Yeah, yeah, I I think overall, like it was surprisingly tame for a Stephen King item, like well, other than like the made for TV movie ones that are already gonna be edited for TV. But um, in terms of, I know, like Stephen King's writing, Cycle of the Werewolf, I remember being, uh, it was a illustrated novella. So there was like all the, the comic style pictures and whatnot in it from the, there a copy that I ended up picking up in like Barnes and Noble one day. I didn't end up buying it because I started reading it when I remembered, oh, this is the thing that Silver Bullet's based on. And I read a couple pages and I was like, eh, not for me. And I put it back only because it, it seemed a lot more brutal as far as what I was reading there. I don't know if that was just me being like 10 at the time reading it is a little bit different than if I were to check it out again now. But I remember not being very excited about Cycle of the Werewolf. So for anybody that is curious, it released on October 11th, 1985 and grossed $12,361,866 and was, uh, I guess, critically panned by critics. I, um... I'm not surprised. <laughs> I feel like it. I was reading some of the critics' reviews at the time, and it's man, everybody loves getting on a bad bandwagon to hate something. Well, I didn't look up anything. This is purely my own opinion that I didn't do any research. I, the research that I did was for one specific person that worked on the movie, and I didn't look at any like reviews or like zero. So don't say I'm hopping on any bandwagon. Because as a first time viewing, it was a little difficult. Oh no, yeah, not not you on a bandwagon, but like all the the critics that if they can do like one pun that's a dig at the movie title, or if they can do some sort of like dunk on the movie and they're 
headline for the review that it, it I didn't gets want to, be a to turn much. it off. At least, at the very least, I didn't want to turn it off at any point. It wasn't like to the point of like this is fucking terrible. I'm gonna forget it. I don't want to do it. Um, I did get from start to finish. I felt it went pretty quick, considering. Like I felt once things were starting to get good, it was in the final act, and then like that was it. <laughs> I uh, I I think I enjoyed this more than I thought I would. Watching it for the first yeah. time. Um, I don't, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't think it was bad, like, in general. I, like I said, like, my, uh, well, I said this before we started recording, but my notes started to peter off, because I was just like, I'm just watching the movie at this point. <laughs> I only stopped to remark on a couple funny things that stood out to me, but, I mean, this movie had a lot of production problems, like disagreements, and, um, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, oh, yeah, they- I did read some of it. Yeah, because the the main disagreements, to my knowledge, was the making of the werewolf suit itself. And they like ended up casting a a dancer, if I believe, to get the movements right. And then the producer. Yeah. Yeah. And then the producer ended up watching it and saying, like, I hate the werewolf. We just like can it, don't do it. Um, with this like suit or whatever. So they ended up shooting any of the scenes that without the werewolf that they could. And by that point it was a case of like it's too late. Just shoot it with the one that you have. Yeah, it was I think like for three months they filmed the movie and then did the werewolf scenes because they were in like the last the half month. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Also, the, did, the didn't the director change hands as well? Yeah. So I believe this was originally started with Don Coscarelli. Um, the Phantasm that people might guy, know right? from like yep from Phantasm. Yeah. Um, I think Bubba Hotep, bunch yeah. of stuff. Um, so yeah, it originally started with him, and then I think there were disagreements, but he left the project and ended up switching over to somebody else. Who was like a first-time and only-time feature director. Yeah, because yeah. I, I don't think the this was directed, uh, the second director was Dan Adius, and I don't believe he did anything movie-wise after that. No, I think it was a lot of TV, TV and things. Yeah. Yeah, which I was surprised that the producer didn't like the werewolf, just because the effects guy who did it was uh carlo rimbaldi who had two academy awards for alien and et um at this point he's he's the one that i researched yeah and also the he did uh the argento film uh profundo rosso deep red that is another fun one for anybody that's into italian horror but yeah it's for somebody so uh well known and prolific to then be like yeah we don't like your werewolf was a, a little bit rough. But I personally, I like the look of it more just because it almost felt like Jaws, how they don't always show it. They were doing it more sparingly. Uh, we just have like the flashes of like the eyes walking past or like staring out from things. And we only have like a handful of actual werewolf attacks. Yeah, I did like that. I thought it was effective in that way as well. I understand they might have gone away from the usual style but it did seem a little too like fluffy i guess in the face the face didn't seem as scary when they showed the whole thing i guess it just looked like a wolf just like a a slightly half man half wolf which sounds dumb because that's yes that's what it is but it just seemed to <laughs> almost a little more more uh, muppety i guess than i would have uh pictured like I, all of the close-ups and like hiding how it looked like i thought was pretty effective i appreciated the transformation that's always tough to do 
like once he was finished, that's when I really kind of lost it, and I felt that Jaws less is more route is better. And I felt like leading up to the final big reveal was kind of the letdown, but like the church scene and the the final transformation of you seeing him transform, I thought was pretty effective. Yeah. I think Which... that's where Carlo's talents came in the most. Because it's tough at that point, too, because you can't go too crazy. I mean, like American or, you know, the the where the other I, which I haven't seen um, American Werewolf in London that came yeah. out first. Yeah. That one, I've always heard amazing things about, like, the special effects behind that, and it's an iconic werewolf movie, but there's only so many different ways that you can portray that transformation, especially back then, so, I don't know. Yeah, because we had, like, this one, I know the other big one was The Howling, they had, well, this one here, Silver Bullet, um, in terms of the werewolves, I think the other one around that time, a bit earlier, was, I think, in The Company of Wolves, which I have never seen, but I think that was another one that was talked about in terms of like a interesting take on the transformation sequence. Cause I think it's like they pull the skin off or something like that. Was the original, the Wolfman done pretty well? Oh, like the, the universal monsters Wolfman. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for its time it was done well. Well, they just like kind of fade between makeup points, right? Or like, ah, for the most part from what I remember. Yeah. yeah. So this one opened against, Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins, with Tremor's own uh, Fred Ward. Oh, I know him. <laughs> so a lot of competition. Uh, also, <laughs> October 1985, we had Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger. We had The Quiet Earth, based on the uh, the sci-fi novel. It's a New Zealand movie. And Reanimator, uh, which was Stuart Gordon, who worked on the script for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids that we covered previously. So it all connects somehow. Yeah, it's so funny. I re-listened to the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and the more I thought about it, the more it really is a Lovecraft story meant for kids. <laughs> it's, it's true. I mean, all you have to do is just like flip the switch in one different part, and it's like, no, yeah, now he's a mad scientist. Yep. <laughs> so, clever. as we mentioned at the, the top of the show, this was... The screenplay was actually written by Stephen King, also based on his own novella, Cycle of the Werewolf. This was directed by Dan Adius. Uh, I'm not going to get too, too far into the the cast, but just anybody that's aware, we have the main kid, Marty, played by Corey Haim. His sister, Jane, who in the novella was, I believe, Kate, uh, is played by Megan Follows that you might know from like Anna Green Gables. Uh, Reverend Lowe, the werewolf, spoilers, uh, and the Reverend was Everett McGill, who you might know from People Under the Stairs with Wes Craven uh, and things like Twin Peaks. And Sheriff Joe Holler was Terry O'Quinn from Stepfather and eventually John Locke on Lost. Um, as soon as I saw was him, a cool I was like, it's John Locke. Yeah. Yep. What you guys, if you liked him, I always liked Terry O'Quinn. If you see him in this and you like him as John Locke, you should do yourself a favor and check out the movie Stepfather and Stepfather 2. Uh, it's where he plays this like serial killer who impersonates different people and then just like inserts himself into different families as the father figure. And then once people start to catch on, he bumps them off and moves on to another family. <laughs> it's a good movie. It's fun. Sounds like uh, And then last but not least, we have Uncle Red, played by Gary Busey, who Certainly I think did a least. great job in this. Yeah, like I think he did a great job in this. I yeah. it's one of my favorite Gary Busey roles. 
Actually, mm-hmm. it's probably my favorite Gary Busey role. And it still kind of breaks my heart that after the, I think it was 88, that he had the motorcycle accident where he didn't have a helmet and he ended up getting permanent brain damage. That over time, supposedly, it ended up affecting like his impulse control and um, kind of things like that. So that's when he all of a sudden slowly turned into the more eccentric, wacky Gary Busey in later years throughout like the 2000s, um, which I think is what everybody kind of makes the jokes about and everybody kind of pokes fun at on different shows and things like that. But it's a shame thinking back to a time when he was nominated for Academy Awards. He was kind of one of the the big up and comers and everything. The Buddy Holly story playing in this. Um, I mean, post accident, he even did Predator too. But yeah, it's it's all sorts of good stuff that he had back then. That's crazy because like, I was I was I was thinking of doing like the "How we doing today, Gary Busey?" joke, and now I feel really fucking guilty about doing that. But yeah. The, um, it almost reminds me of the same thing with like uh what's his name Mickey Rourke yeah because he had a similar kind of thing go go on and like you compare him from like um what's that sex movie he did um about uh, eight and a half no, weeks about a heat. Uh, eight, yeah yeah right yeah that one you you compare his role to that to like everything like kind of after that and you can't even tell it's the same actor practically yeah cuz i think he did boxing for a while too and whatnot but i mm-hmm. always think of him as like um, back during like diner Mickey Rourke, where he's like the the young suave Mickey Rourke that uh, was like the romantic male lead in uh, stuff like that, and then now he's cast as the muscled goon or whatnot, Marvin Sin City or uh, Whiplash and Iron Man Two. Uh, less Marvel only because he, uh, at least in terms of his face, only because of the amount of makeup he wore. There, yeah. That. Plus, he actually did a really good job as Marv, so. Yeah. yeah, Gary Busey. He just seems like. Well, I guess it's, that was one of the things I learned about this too. That he got. I guess Stephen King let him just like. I guess ad lib the lines. Not maybe not necessarily from scratch, but probably just like said everything in his own words. And it just kind of felt like <laughs> Gary Busey was there just being himself, but like as like an uncle. But it fit. Like I didn't think it was bad. It was good. But he didn't. He, he honestly did, like, was one of the best parts. Lines. Yeah, that's why I enjoyed, he feels just so like he's just kind of off the cuff. But I think I enjoyed his lines. He's and a rascally he uncle. On screen. Yeah, yeah, he was good. Yeah, it's like rough at first. You're like, just the way I thought he was going to be more of a dick, but like just with his introduction scene. But later on, but you know, he turns it around. When we we'll get to it when we do the the Uncle Red introduction in the movie. But towards the end of the after, towards the end of that scene after they're playing cards, I think was the point where Uncle Red kind of like clicked and you understand Uncle Red as a character in that movie. Yeah. yeah. But until then, we have to go to a drunk at the train tracks getting his head taken off. So the movie I, opens. <laughs> what was that? I was going to say, like when I looked at Terry O'Quinn, I'm like, it's John Locke. I, I heard this actor first and I was like, it's the coach from Major League. It's not bitter, not sweet. The real frosty treat. Won't you buy? Won't you buy? Rheingold beer. Like that's the only other scene I've seen this uh, actor. Oh, in. that's who if the he, the guy on the train tracks was. Yeah, that's Arnie who gets you know he gets his right away. He's the coach he in Major Scott. League. I didn't even look up his filmography to see what else he had done, but I knew that his voice is very distinct. But at least these two. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> so the movie opens when we we get the opening credits over this kind of nice shot on the moon as it does that slow zoom out. I've always loved the the score and the music throughout this movie, both the like the actual songs and then just generally the the score work from just backing scenes and whatnot. A couple of points that reminded me of um, John Carpenter, and it it's, has that perfect fun like '80s feel with a lot of things like I, I don't know, like synth and glass celestias and um, all sorts of fun stuff there. But we open up with spring of 1976. Uh, originally, the novella, I believe each chapter essentially took place in a different month. And it was supposed to be like throughout a year of this werewolf attacking a town. So a lot of the murders happened, I think, on like holidays or something. But in this case, eh, less so. So we open up with a some sort of train worker on these train tracks. And he's already drinking on the job. And we start hearing the music as he's walking around the train tracks doing his work. You see the POV shot of like the werewolf looking out from the woods. You hear kind of like a bit of the noise. And I honestly think if this werewolf wasn't involved, he only sped along a tragic series of events that was already in motion when this guy decided to take this job and drink. <laughs> yeah, he ain't gonna get ahead in that job with that. <laughs> Arnie, he could have been drinking all day. It was nighttime, you know. He he might have not just started drinking. Yeah, he was which I mean is exactly bottle. what you want when this guy's working on... And it's not <laughs> even a case if it's like, oh, well, maybe he's working on a section of the track that's not used. Because when it cuts to morning, the train goes by. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, no, yeah, this is an active train track. Uh, so we get that, like, Jaws-style music buildup, which I think, again, love or hate the, the design of the werewolf... I love the fact that they didn't just have this werewolf like jumping out of the woods like at the drop of a hat throughout the entire movie. It was more wisely used in terms of just relying on the the music and the snarls and whatnot and the POV shots and just flashes of eyes and things like that. And a great red hook. And a great red hook. <laughs> he comes out and just lays a Tommy knocker of a haymaker on this guy. <laughs> and this was the first part when I was a kid. When I realized I grew up on a TV edit, because when I eventually saw the actual version in the TV edit, the werewolf comes out and the guy looks surprised. And then it cuts to the um, bug getting squashed in the next day when they're at the fair. In this version, he takes the guy's head clean off as it does a 360 in the air. And then we get the morning of that head on the ground with flies around it. Yeah, and maggots, yep. Yeah, yeah. so I, I do like how during this scene, it cuts to all the townsfolk throughout the town as this is happening, and we see a barber giving a guy a haircut in what I assume is like pitch black outside. So unless this is some sort of like Tarker's Mill after hours haircut salon or... I don't know what the case is. It was is an there. emergency haircut. He called him at, at midnight. He's like, Pop, <laughs> it's a meeting I woke in up in a cold sweat. <laughs> I need a haircut right now. <laughs> I have a job interview at 8 a.m. I'm going to be taking over at the train station. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, I like how they say, 
It was never really investigated. It was written off as an accident because he was a town drunk. He just happened to fall with his neck right on the train tracks. (laughs) Yeah, and the train happened to take his head clean off without actually damaging his head. (laughs) Just like a train is wont to do. Well, they didn't have evidence that said anything else. Who knows? (laughs) Except for physics. Physics, probably. Later on, I questioned the uh, ability of the police department. Yeah. It's like uh, in the beginning, I kind of gave them the benefit of the doubt, and the town is just getting rowdy because I figured, you know, they're scared. You know, some people are dying off. But at the same time, later on in the movie, when like five, six people are dead, like, what does the police department do at this point? Like, it's not like New York City or like, you know, Boston, a, a super major city where deaths can happen. Like, you know, 15 people were killed last night all across the city. Like, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but like it's it's not a as big a deal compared to like middle of nowhere America, where like this small little town, six people died in the span of like three days. Like, what is what do you do at that point? Yeah, six people. That's like seven percent of your population. Yeah, no kidding. I guess that's one thing that was confusing for me. Maybe it's just, you know, I glossed over some quick thing, but the the timeline in the movie confused me because I didn't realize like each killing was essentially one month later. No, I thought it was. I took it as like one night, you know, the first night, the train guy, then the second night was the um, pregnant woman. And then the third night was the guy's um, Marty's girlfriend, her dad. Because they, I mean, don't they have July fireworks? And then, like, the movie ends in October. Well, they don't have July fireworks. That was the problem. Right, they don't. But, like, they were supposed to. <laughs> and he says something about, like, having having the 4th of July in September later on when he gives them some fireworks. Like, yeah. It's like, there's different, the movie is, like, going much further than I realized. At yeah, because it starts in spring and then it ends on Halloween. Where in the right. book, I believe it starts, I don't know when it starts, but it ends on New Year's Eve in, as opposed to Halloween. Halloween is actually when um, Marty is out trick-or-treating and ends up finding that Reverend Lowe is missing an eye. And that's when he figures out that Reverend, or Reverend Lowe is the werewolf. And that's when he starts like sending his letters, things like that in the book, um, <laughs> to my knowledge. But um, yeah. so, <laughs> oh, we'll get to that. There's a lot to unpack. So <laughs> we go yeah, to the I'm next day. <laughs> we go to the next day on the town green, which I love. This is evident. I think there's a shot in uh, North Carolina, uh, which I would love to visit just to see this town and be able to walk around the silver bullet shooting locations. But this is the exact town green I picture in my head when I think of like small town America, where it's like yeah. tree covered and you have like all these nice little shops and things. And then the large town green with just like a marching band style thing going, which I don't know what this is for. This is like some sort of hey it's spring festival yeah i first I, my notes like town parade thing then i realized there was no parade and they were just a gathering of to talk about the state of the union <laughs> some hi everyone glad the marching band showed up if you can quiet down the music we had a murder last night <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh too like he's like hey idiot stop playing we're trying to start this thing like you t- we're supposed to play the intro song. The sheriff goes over and just tells him to shut up. I'm trying to try to get through this. Just fires one shot in the air. <laughs> As Have your is attention normal. now. <laughs> uh, so 
we get to meet um, Marty's parents, which we don't even meet Marty yet. So we have uh, the parents and the young girl, Jane, uh, sitting in the audience at this fair festival sort of thing with the town. And I like how when the mother asks her to go check on her brother, she gets up to go. And then that other blonde girl, like, mocks her of going to check <laughs> out her brother. Like, do you have no family values? <laughs> that was like I a felt- weird, now that you mention it, yeah, it was like a weird once and one and done like teasing thing like that never surfaced again like i guess it just made it be like oh she has to take care of her brother and she hates it but that was a strange no i felt really bad for jane through the whole movie because i felt like she got a lot of unnecessary shit for everything that was going on her mom was harsh on her yeah like the car scene later on when they get to the argument like fuck that that could have been handled better yeah poor girl like she obviously has a good relationship with her brother. Like it's evident. The mom just like yeah, so like, gives her shit the whole time. One question I do have: she's narrating this movie, right? Yeah, as yes. an older person. Yeah. So it just sounds like there's another piece of the story that's missing. So Tim, did you read the book? I did not. Okay, or I'm at interested least would, too. If you would know, because the way that she describes the events in the past tense, it sounds like. Marty died. In I know in the book Marty doesn't. Um, well, at least not through the course of events. But he, through yeah, the movie. it makes it sound like eventually something else happened. Yeah, because um, it it's, a, ends on such like a bittersweet note that you're like, oh, that seems kind of weird to just be like, that's how I'm going to end a story that I, oh yeah, just a story I told. Yeah, it is a strange sounds- like stand by me device that doesn't seem to be necessary. Really, yeah. like I. I liked the the narration. The only thing I think f- was kind of weird is the fact that it was used so sparsely and sporadically. Yeah. That it was like a started a narration in the beginning and then like at some point, like two quarters or two quarters in one half, I'll reduce my fractions. So like one half of the movie, it ends up doing a little bit more narration. And then at the very end, you have like two lines of narration before the credits roll. So it's I like the narration in general, but I just feel like it was used sporadically, so it ends up making it seem jarring when it happens. Yeah, I was I, I definitely was taken out when she speaks all, you know, off screen like, oh yeah, that narration from the beginning, okay like, okay, just comes back <laughs> in and, and I'm like, why? But You just hear her narrating Marty whips his head around <laughs> what is that? <laughs> like stranger than fiction. Like, what? <laughs> And then Marty was a werewolf. Don't say that. <laughs> so yeah, um, we uh, we we have Jane, uh, which in the book, to my knowledge, from what I read, Jane is Kate, I believe, and she doesn't have a huge role in the book. It seems like most of the action was done with Marty. Like Marty did the there was no bottle deposit thing. Marty ended up finding out Reverend Lowe was the one who got the eye shot. Marty was the one who started sending the letters like by himself. Marty was the one who like talked to Uncle Red. So I I think they might have added her in just to add a little bit more for him to play off of as a second character. But I'll need to read the book after this because I, I now I'm curious because it's something I've always skipped over as a kid. But now I kind of want to read it just to see the comparisons. Yeah, her her character and level of involvement makes sense for the movie. But I still just like was confused at why we had to have it, a narrator from her perspective. Uh, I don't know. Just strange to me. Yeah. 
We'll do it like as I lay dying. It'll be a different narrator for each uh, part of the movie. <laughs> yeah. I did like her, though. She did, she did a good job. I talked it up as a trope of just Stephen King's. That's true, because if just, you think about it, Morgan Freeman in... Um, Shawshank. Shawshank narrating that. Then you have, uh, what, the narration in, like, Stand By Me. It seems a, a lot of the, the narration things there. And I don't know if that's just something that he specifically wrote or uh, when he did the script for this one or if it was something they just felt added to it. So, yeah. So we end up meeting Marty. Uh, her brother, who is handicapped, he's unable to use his legs, so he ends up getting a lot of kind of um, special attention from the parents. They have her kind of work with him a lot, help him out a lot, get him places, which ends up kind of frustrating Jane. Uh, Marty kind of feels bad about it, too, which we'll see throughout the movie, but they seem to have a, a good relationship despite kind of being the frustrations there. And then we meet Brady, Marty's friend. As they are, they have Brady up in a tree with a snake. And then as Jane comes over, they surprise her with the snake. So she falls down and rips her, uh, the stockings. And then when she tries to get back up, Brady throws the snake at her and says, Look alive! Uh. <laughs> hey, Jane, do you want your pants? And then she falls in the mud. And I don't want to spoil anything, but Brady got exactly what he deserved. <laughs> He was kind of a prick. Well, sure looks like we got a goat that time, didn't we? Shut up, Brady. You're warped. <laughs> totally fair and even exchange of uh, violence here. <laughs> you know, growing up, I always felt like I was a bit of an outcast. And, you know, I never felt I fit in with the rest of my, you know, class growing up. But at never any point did I feel I was bullied to that extreme. Yeah. And as a child of the 80s as well, like this was during like the 80s when I was super young and the same thing with like, you know, early 90s, whatever. But still, like, we didn't go through anything like that. That's borderline like, I'm going to call the cops on you harassment. So I think this has been part of my ongoing problem. Like, I like Stephen King's work. I It's great. Maybe it's just me, but I feel like any of the bullies in Stephen King's books and his, the thing, like his movies, things like that, they can't just be normal bullies. They have to be like ratcheted up to eleven bullies. Like in it, it can't just Pulling be they pick on a kid. On yeah, they have to like pull out a switchblade and carve their name into a kid, or it's like all of these really intense bullying situations. This one, all in turn, like well, all intents and purposes, is kind of tame for Stephen King, but. Still, it's Why like can't really... they just be online and say like you look fat today, like, and that's that's the level of bullying we get. No, nope. I mean that's okay. essentially the, uh... what Marty did to Reverend Low. <laughs> yeah, the Twitter posts will come later. <laughs> yeah, see, so, yeah, an updated silver bullet where Marty instead just cyber bullies Reverend Low instead of yeah, saying say, we'll find out that Marty is the bully. In this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was awful quick to come up with that idea there. <laughs> He's probably like, oh, I already have these letters. We just have to change the name. I laughed out loud when I saw that letter. Um, oh, that was that was a hearty laugh. That wasn't like I breathed a little harder out of my nose laugh. That was that was a full-on bellow. A guffaw. Like oh, yeah. We'll get to it. So, Brady is the worst. He uh, ends up knocking her down into the mud. He laughs. Um, and then Jane gets upset and she ends up leaving. And then even Marty kind of shows remorse on this. And he ends up telling Mar or Brady that he's twisted. 
And Brady being a psychopath shows no emotion. So <laughs> Jane is kind of walking off in a huff and she looks through bushes and she sees an argument between uh, this <laughs> woman who says she's pregnant and the guy that she says is the father. And he is saying that it is not his baby and to get away from him and get out of here. And he says, sorry, babe. I have to have some help. It's your oven, but it ain't my bun. You got bacon in there, huh? Yeah, I wrote that line in my notes, too. What class. (laughs) (laughs) I was more horror-stricken thinking that that was Jane's parents because I wasn't fully sure of, like, (laughs) who was she. So it just seemed like a perfect opportunity for her to be upset in the bushes trying to clean herself up. And then seeing her parents arguing, like, in the corner and, like, yeah, that ain't my kid. Like, holy <laughs> fuck. And she's adopted? Or, like, and her mom's, like, screwing around or whatever? Like, no, I didn't take yeah. the argument like that. The test. <laughs> it's like, no, you must have screwed some other guy. I'll see you later. <laughs> yeah. At that point, Reverend Lowe is doing favors out there. <laughs> I you figured just slip a little it's extra money in the collection at Sunday service and being like, yeah, here's a name. I thought he was a righteous, like, a self-righteous, like, werewolf. Like, he only kills people. Yeah, like, yeah, he kills people, but he does it, like, in a sick way like Jigsaw did in the Saw movies. Like, oh, you have a drinking problem, so I'm going to just, much... like, drown you in alcohol. In this case, he's just going <laughs> to rip the guy's head off, but still. Right. I disagree with his choices, if that's his game. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll we'll cover it a bit later, but when he says, like, he saved somebody's soul from hell because he killed them before they can kill themselves. Great. That's one. What was the explanation on all the rest of them? (laughs) Drinking on the job. I did feel like that trope has been overused a lot with like the battered house of the drunk dad and always like the, the Jenny and Forrest Gump kind of thing, because all that was missing from that whole thing with was, um was what's werewolf? her name kate oh uh what in silver bullet yeah uh jane no not the sister his like the girlfriend. got knocked up no 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 oh, um, oh, oh, oh yeah marty's the, friend i yeah. don't remember her name i think it might have been kate yeah i don't know either yeah so her dad the only thing missing from right. that equation was like on screen like physical or sexual abuse or something for that righteousness to continue Right. For the werewolf to be killing people. Right. Yeah. Which the father in that seemed like an amalgam of Stephen King and Rob Zombie favorite like character tropes of like white trash, uh, day drinking, watching wrestling, screaming at people kind of character. I mean, he was just a dumb drunk, but he seemed pretty harmless. He had a bone I could to be pick wrong. with the Americans with Disabilities Act. Damn crippled end up on welfare. Yeah, I was going to say, he, he made a lot of uh, rude remarks to Marty about being handicapped. Oh, being true, a cripple. So, yeah, he might not be understanding. I mean, not much has changed over the last 30 years, but... I believe he wanted to electrocute anybody with a disability to save them from welfare and balance the national debt. I'll electrocute them all. Balance a goddamn budget. I think that might have been a Christmas carol. (laughs) (laughs) Those were his words. He's a great guy. This town is filled with really great people. (laughs) I mean, some of them are. Some of them, yeah, I guess. Some of them are, some of them aren't. 
like humanity. That's any town. Yeah. You're right. Any town USA. But the bad the bad apples really are really rotten apples. They spoil the bunch? Spoil the barrel? I forget. I guess not. So they after seeing this uh this wonderful back and forth between the this couple, not couple, uh they decide to head home. This is when I like how usually in movies, whenever there's a driver, they're not paying attention to the road. They're like yep. joining the conversation, turning around in their seat, like sitting in the back seat, having a conversation, nobody at the wheel. I like how the father actually kept his eyes on the road and just let the wife talk to them in the back seat while they were, um, Jane was complaining that Marty keeps kind of getting the special treatment and everything that happened to her and the mother's getting upset that you have to be understanding of your brother and all of this stuff. So they're kind of arguing. And the father's just actually like glancing left, glancing right, looking at his mirrors and like, looks like you're actually driving here. This is very nice. It's refreshing. I appreciated that. Big yeah. time. It's, it's my weirdest, biggest pet peeve in shows and movies when it's a car scene and somebody will be talking and the driver will turn to their side for like 40 minutes and just have a conversation or like turn around and it's like, Come on, at least act like you're driving. There's a, I don't know if you heard of this newer movie called Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, but it's a very wacky comedy. But long story short, somebody's talking to this little kid. He's like driving a submarine and he's driving it very typically like where he's got his hands on the wheel and they're just constantly going like nonstop. Like you wouldn't in a car, you just kind of keep your hands in one spot. The wheel wouldn't move. And she's like instructing him. She's like, remember... Lots of little tiny left to right movements as you're driving. <laughs> and it's just they're calling out that trope. My my guess is they shot that scene and the kid was doing that and she probably just, they probably just wrote that in as like a a, a joke, but yeah. I, I, I love when it's uh they add the realism to the driving. Yeah. So I I like it even better when they do that thing of like they look away in the conversation. And then when they get hit by an obvious oncoming car or something like that, it's like, well, that at least makes sense. (laughs) So I do like how even though kind of Jane feels like the the backup kid um, to Marty here, they do still have that good relationship because when they get out of the car, Jane starts to go inside. And then the I think it was the father or the mother ends up saying, like, come back and help him get out of the car. And then she has to get out his wheelchair and kind of help him into the wheelchair and then bring him inside. And they're talking about his Uncle Red, which at this point we haven't met him. But they kind of set it up that Uncle Red is kind of a a screw-up. He evidently is on like his fourth divorce or something like that. He has a drinking problem. But Marty still looks up to him, so it's kind of disappointing to him to be told. So Jane kind of, I don't know, takes almost like a little bit of a pleasure in telling him that he's getting divorced again. He's kind of a failure only because she knows that he looks up to him. Um, Or I don't know if it's just a case of she is accepting of the fact that it's a disappointment. So to her, it's just like, yep, we already knew this. Uh, She's definitely doing it out of spite because she's like pissed off about the whole day. She apologizes about it later in the next scene. I, I like their relationship dynamic because she fucking hated Marty a lot. But at the same time, you can tell there's that sibling love for each other and i appreciated that quite a bit because there were some scenes where she was ready to fucking kill him if the werewolf was in the room and she had one gun with one bullet she with what one gun with two bullets she probably shoot her brother twice 
<laughs> like th- that much resentment was given for I don't him. know if I felt I don't know if I felt that strongly. She was fucking pissed a couple of times, man. Like because Marty never seemed yeah. to be like an agit agitator or instigator. He was like very no. sorry for what uh, happened. I believe that the indifference of good men make them evil. So despite how <laughs> he was like, I'm the good child. I'm not going to say anything. She, she's getting reamed by her mother because she's like, you know, he does no wrong. And he just, he doesn't say anything through that entire conversation. I That's felt true. that was, I see it. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I'm the good child. Oh, the other kid is getting uh, yelled at. Like, I'm just going to sit here and not say anything. He could have said something. He could have, but he didn't. Yeah, so he's not actively, like, mean or bad to her, but I guess he doesn't (laughs) defend her or speak up at all. I did appreciate, like, later that night, you know, when when she gets the wheelchair for him, like, just the look on her face, like, I swear he could have killed him right then and there on the spot, and you see her, you know, wheel him up the ramp and all that, but later that night, when he he sneaks in her bedroom, yeah, that's right. That's right. She's like, here's your she chair. She's just like, yeah. She, she leaves him to roll so, the ramp by himself. And he struggles. So right. He's so, like, he can't get up. I, I like how they ask her to help him on all of these things. And then later we'll see him climb out of his bed, climb out of his window, <laughs> down a vine trellis. Yeah. Oh, that like, bothered me so much. It's He's like, got wow. some upper body strength from that kid. Yeah. Imagine him gym class just doing 50 chin ups at like the physical. <laughs> Like, we know that Marty. point where we, we have to climb the rope in the gym, in the gymnasium. Like, he's the only one that can do it at age, like, what, 10, 12? All on, all on his forearm and, like, shoulder strength. Yep. Um, let's not gloss over the fact that he has a regular house wheelchair, but out on the streets, he's got a 250cc engine in his wheelchair. Yeah, I never knew that. Like, I figured I, they probably had motorized wheelchairs. Thinking about it, like they're all electric now, which is uh, makes a ton of sense. But back then, they probably had to be motorized. But I never I think thought of anyone actually up, having that. I think Gary Busey just straight up like exhibit pimped his ride, like West Coast custom, <laughs> his wheelchair. Like it's like a Dominic Toretto wheelchair. <laughs> something something family something something quarter mile at a time can we now get a a a remake of silver bullet with vin diesel as uncle red (laughs) not even just like it's still the kid but he's now grown up now and he's like hold on i know a guy that could help us and it's the fucking kid years later i feel like dom immediately would marty he's what vin diesel as marty (laughs) but all the rest of the characters are age appropriate he got his walking back I overcame that shit. I was thinking if Dom was Uncle Red, he would have believed him immediately about the werewolf and they would have loaded, they would have made many silver bullets and went out on a hunt right away. <laughs> he would not have second guessed that. Let's go kick this so, werewolf says. We, uh, when we were talking about Marty kind of having the nice scene with Jane, I think this is what you were getting into, Nick, when he yeah. snuck back into the room. Yeah, he snuck back into the room and like during that whole altercation at the park, her, you know, her pantyhose ripped and he genuinely did feel bad. And this is part of the indifferent shit that like he could have done this out in the open instead of in private. But the thought still like it still was touching. But, you know, he ended up like giving her money while she was trying to sleep and leaving it on the bed to kind of like in turn pay for the ripped pantyhose that happened. 
and she ends up waking up and she's like, Oh, what's the money for? And you know, it, that was really sweet of him. And it was pretty, uh, you know, like, Oh, is this enough for, you know, what broke? I thought I did like that. He could have done that publicly, but whatever. I mean, he's the good guy in the movie. So I guess I gotta accept that. Yeah. And then they have kind of a little bit more heartfelt conversation about uncle red rather than, um, what she kind of just shot at him earlier, which throughout the entire movie, like it's seeing this relationship and then the, the ending narration, I think it really makes it set it up. Like what happens to Marty after the end of this movie? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's why it threw me off. I was like, I think you just could have done away with it. Just had this little, it could have been, I was thinking about that and it could have just been kind of Steven's way of preparing for a possible sequel. Like that's his jumping off point so that there'll be more narrations and that if the, you know, the werewolves end up coming back for whatever reason, Marty could be there to basically reprise his role from the lost boys kind of thing. But with werewolves this time, I think it was at one point, Marty might've gotten scratched by Reverend Lowe. And then directly following that Halloween, he transforms, and then Uncle Red has to shoot him. Hmm. I could see that. I'd watch that. <laughs> Maybe they make a pact that if the werewolf ever comes back when they're adults, they'll come back to town. 30 years later. <laughs> take care of them. <laughs> <laughs> they'll send somebody in their place. Steven, I feel like I've read this already. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Control F, dairy, replace with Parker's Mill. (laughs) Replace clown with werewolf. (laughs) Thanks, Clippy. Replace Um, leper with werewolf. Replace. Um, She got a pair of pantyhose for $1.49. That's a great deal. Shows you how much. I thought he put down like like six bucks. I think it was like he said she only need she only took what she needed. She was like, it's only a dollar forty nine and she left somebody on the table. Literally. Right, right. (laughs) Exact change. Just leaving money on the table. Yeah. The thought that counts, but he needs the receipt back. (laughs) (laughs) It's a it's an expense. (laughs) So we jump from their little uh, delicate moment over to outside of this house while uh, there's a woman downstairs playing piano or organ or whatever it is and we go upstairs to find the pregnant woman from the fair who's talking to the other uh, classy gentleman about the being pregnant with a baby. Baby mama situation yeah. Pouring out a bunch of pills ready to uh, punch her own ticket here. You and know the, the red pill means that she's going to be leaving the matrix. The blue pill is when <laughs> you stay. So she is looking to get out of the Matrix as soon as possible. She really wanted to leave the Matrix. There were a lot of <laughs> oh, yeah. red pills. <laughs> yeah. So we get another POV from a creature at this point from outside, approaching the house and then climbing the vine trellis very stealthily, which, again, great use of all of this, just with the fact that I like these quick flashes and whatnot. And then it builds it up to you get this the werewolf bursting through the window. You still don't see him clearly. You just still get these like quick scenes here and there. But another scene that was a very short on the TV edition. And here we actually have the full werewolf attack. And it's like rending flesh and like knocking this was, woman around. Yeah, it was actually terrifying. Like it was actually a scary scene. 
Because it, it honestly felt like a like a wild animal, like a bear attack. Because it's just right. You see swipes of claws and people getting like opened up, and you just hear the snarling and whatnot. And it yeah, it was it's rough. It, it's a um, I mean, it, it's for not seeing the werewolf. It's a good scene to just kind of see this here. It's still the whole thing kind of reminded me of a very Jaws like feel of here's kind of. The build up, the build up, and then really high like violence against somebody, and yeah. then we just dip back away um, because the mother downstairs or whoever it is grabs a gun and runs upstairs to find no werewolf but the girl dead in the bed. Well, she took her time. She did. Well, it's- she, she. I mean, he he. That werewolf really did a number on that girl. Like <laughs> she opens he, a door and it's daylight. Yeah. But no, like she gets really, really torn up from that attack. But in the time, he had plenty of time to plot every swipe. Basically, I know. I I don't. Maybe it's it's a trope that like the, like the person who's being a shithead like usually gets theirs quicker or right away. Um, in this case, that was not the, that was not the scenario because the poor girl who got pregnant you know she was knocked up and the guy denied her she's one she's the one that gets killed that guy gets away scot-free like he doesn't die <laughs> he's still living after this movie's yeah. over no and, justice um, even in th- silver that Boy. poor girl was like suicidal and she still gets a terrible end it's like damn stephen king yeah that that's what's kind of and i know they probably no did that specifically justice. so he can do his own whole thing private justice so he can do his Private whole thing uh, <laughs> later on. <laughs> Why don't you go up to Harmony Hill, dig up what's left of my boy Brady, and lecture him on private justice. Private justice. Private justice. Private justice. Private justice. Private justice. So, Put yeah, him no back together justice. in a Frankenstein's monster kind of way. Wait for a storm, let him get struck by lightning, and bring him back here. So, yeah, it's probably just a setup so he can do the whole bit later on how he right. did it to save her soul. Because it's kind of <laughs> Again, ruins that speech had the when one he just example. goes and kills that other guy. <laughs> I killed him because he was kind of a schmuck. <laughs> I saved his soul. So after this happens, we jump over to uh, Sheriff Joe Holloran and the deputy at the sheriff's station, he's talking with some sort of federal agents about the the murder or whatever the case is there. And then we see the deputy later that night at the local bar where we meet a guy whose actual name I found was Andy. I called him Mutton Chops for years, but he has these very, <laughs> like, Irish dock worker Mutton Chops. Um, like Civil War facial hair. Yeah. <laughs> But he's running his mouth at the bar about the ineffectiveness of the police force, which at this point, I always was like, this guy is just the worst. And then, yeah. Nick, you make a good point. No, the police force are kind of terrible in this movie. <laughs> they, they really are. They're bad at their jobs. They're very ineffective. I did like that that guy got called out. He's like, as I recall, like you didn't pay your taxes and you're here complaining about taxpayer money. <laughs> yeah, because Mutton Chop Andy was like, We pay our taxes to keep this town safe. And Joe Haller... Ain't doing it. Last town report said you were in arrears in your taxes, Andy. Guess you caught up. Huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like the public uh, public record show. You didn't pay any taxes, you son of a bitch. Um, that was funny <laughs> to me. But the 
the potential fight gets broken up by the bartender with his peacemaker baseball bat. That, that was that a never great... comes back. Right. <laughs> I didn't notice that. That actually that makes guy was a lot awesome. more sense now. Yeah. His like attitude and his line was just like funny to me. He's like, um, you guys need to cool your thermostats or get the hell out of here. <laughs> what if he, he didn't a give a warning? Lines. He just swung. <laughs> <laughs> I let Peacemaker do the talking. <laughs> Public record show you didn't pay taxes, Andy. And he just... <laughs> <laughs> just get some like uh, Al Capone in uh, The Untouchables at the dinner scene. <laughs> There'll be no government evasion in my bar. so at this point we end up going back to marty after school we meet a girl who is a friend of his that we will never really see again they are friends in the class they pass the house where the attack happened she talks about how she's kind of afraid of the whole thing it upsets her marty is very understanding about it and then when they get to her house she kind of explains that the like greenhouse shed area out back by hers she's kind of doubly frightened for the fact that she's hearing noises out of it and the attack happened up the road at which point we meet the father which is in very stephen king fashion not a great father which wouldn't be a stephen king movie if we didn't have one terrible father and this is where as dean mentioned before he's a piece of work he's he was really good at that 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 guy that played that role like i'd i just believe that like oh that's him all the time like that's just like He's just an asshole. He just like played it which, very well. Actually, like that's a good human. point, which never crossed my mind. It's like that guy. It's not like he came fully formed from Stephen King's head. He's playing that role, and for me to look at it and be like, "What a schmuck!" He's doing a good job in the role. It's <laughs> yeah. just Stephen King's writing as that character is a little heavy-handed. It's like, yeah, we get yes. it. We're not supposed to like this guy, right? Yeah, kill off. And he walks inside. Like, he like kicks motto. two puppies or something. <laughs> would be surprised just for good measure yeah he like he it's it, it, it's like he's hamming it up but at the same time it's like i believe that that person exists like even outside of this movie there's somebody like that in the world yeah uh, the, the yeah. main thing i've learned growing older over the years is watching this and being like yeah it seems a little outlandish and then realizing oh no there's definitely people exactly like that out there <laughs> So on the way home, Marty stops for gas at the the local station, which if my main mode of transportation was this like gas powered wheelchair, I would not run it to fumes to the point where he's like trying to eke out the last so he can roll into the gas station. I feel like you would need better planning than that. I don't know. I do that every two weeks. (laughs) I don't like going to the gas station. I just want to go home takes 30 miles to get to work and i got 27 miles left in my tank so i'm like how far can i get really i don't know let's just let's get a gallon at least just get a gallon yeah i do the way home. get an electric car get a tesla I, really, I should i want one elon please uh sponsor me <laughs> gotta sell that ad space um mm-hmm. that i mean his wheelchair it could definitely hold like yeah like a half gallon or something of gas like backup gas like oh shit get me to the gas station gas he should should plan ahead because that comes back to almost literally bite him in the ass later he's kind of reckless with this bike though i wouldn't trust him riding around with a gallon of gas just like sticking off to the side yeah that's actually how reverend Lowe originally was going to get him he put sugar in his gas tank (laughs) 
Now who's going to shoot the gas tank up and explode? <laughs> Mythbusters taught us that doesn't work, though. I know. They shot at a propane tank, though, I think. Runs up, puts a know. rag in it, lights it on fire. <laughs> um. Yeah, he, so, he, so he just... It was just like, I don't know if that was supposed to show us just that he will run his tank to empty because you just get a little bit of the the gas attendant just has fun with him. Hey, Mr. Cuts. Well, Marty, I see you lucked out again. Yep. Would you fill her up, please? Want me to check the oil? Yeah, sure. Wipe the windshield and check the driver's bullshit level. Yeah, and which that's it. I don't know. It might have been part that that they wanted to show or set up that, yeah, he's kind of oblivious to keeping track of it. Um, Or also it might just be like they wanted to give a little bit more time of just having him interact with townsfolk just to kind of because it was a nice scene of just them because it's like, oh, yeah, like, right. Not everybody in this town is terrible. This guy seems super nice to him. Like they joke around and whatnot. And then also like he comes up later. He's one of the people when they go out into the. The woods, which I think he's one of the ones that doesn't die. Correct. During the, the woods attack. He makes but it it's, out. Yeah. But at what cost? A uh, dollar. <laughs> so we end up going to uh, back to Marty's house. And this is when we finally meet Uncle Red. They're sitting I there thought, playing cards. I thought the kid was drinking with Gary Busey. <laughs> when they both drank, he's where he's drinking like some kind of soda pop as whatever it would be back then. Like Pepsi in a bottle, glass bottle, and then he's obviously the uh, Red's obviously drinking, you know, like wild turkey. I thought yeah. they were both drinking like heavy stuff. He's got he's got a glass Coke bottle that he's sitting yeah. on the table. Yeah, if you, look, if you look quickly, it's a it's, it's a, a it's a Guinness it's Guinness colored. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I'm sick or whatever, I have a cold and my voice is hoarse. And I'm around my brother. The easiest way to make him laugh is I do all of Gary Busey's lines from this one scene. Like the... To tell the joke. He, oh, he, oh, he always calls me that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, there's a guy sitting in the bar. Bartender says, hey, Jackass, give me a drink. So the bartender pours him a drink. He drinks it. Sits there for a while. Says, hey, Jackass, pour me another drink. So he pours another drink. The guy gets up and leaves. The guy that's sitting there says, hey, why do you let him call you Jackass all the time? The bartender says, oh, he, oh, he, oh, he always calls me that. Yeah. Tom Tom again I say can't bet managers like all of his lines in that like horse Gary Busey voice it's just comedy gold um, so this is where I think like when Gary Busey comes in it's again a, a shame that everybody over the years thinks of him as a bit of a punchline when seeing him act and stuff like this which at first you kind of see Uncle Red you they set him up earlier as Uncle Red is just the the failure, he's a drunk, he's had a bunch of ex-wives, like all of this. And then to see him with Marty and he's kind of laughing. But that one scene where Marty gets into the chair to call it a night and he goes upstairs and Uncle Red's making faces at him and laughing. And as soon as Marty gets out of sight, you see his face change because it's like he's putting on this act to be fun around Marty just because he knows that Marty needs that in his life. And then he kind of goes back to the... Yeah, like I know what that kid's going through kind of deal look on his face. I really appreciated him in this. It, he struck me as the type that everyone looked at Marty as a kid in the wheelchair. And I felt like Red was the only one that tried to look past that. I don't want you drinking around Marty. 
Don't be telling me what to do. You've been telling me what to do all my life. Red, I don't care how you live, but he is a very impressionable little boy. You know, you think your only responsibility is getting his butt out of the chair and into the tub and out of the chair and onto the toilet. And you ought to realize there's more to Marty than him not being able to walk. Like yeah. every gift that he gave him seemed to try to go beyond like, yes, he bought him like or he made he probably made him the silver bullet mark one. And then obviously the silver bullet yeah, mark right. two was given to him by Red, so we know that he was the one that did it. But right. he just wants to like I get that you can't feel your legs, but at least this will let you experience the world more in the way that we can because you can't. And I always yeah. appreciated that. I think as a kid, I always overlooked this scene just because I was looking for get me back to the werewolf kind of stuff. But the argument that then happens between the mother and Uncle Red, who's like brother sister kind of deal, it ends up being a great exchange between them there. And it's, I feel like, a, a good kind of acting moment between the two of them, just because they seem like they're they're also siblings. They're both frustrated, and both of them have good points that they're coming from in terms of, as he said, Uncle Red sees that Marty is more than just his disability. The mother also is making the point of, like, it's because you just roll in every so often. You're not here with him day to day. So it's like... Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's fun. But also, there's a lot to kind of take care of and make sure he's taken care of. Because, I don't know, maybe once they're gone or something like that, it's, they worry about Marty. So easy for you, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You blow in here once a month, and you tell a few jokes, and you have a few beers, and then you want to lecture me about how to raise my son. Well, I am the one who is responsible for how he feels when he sees you like this, and how he feels when you leave. Um, which this is where, as he said, like uncle red ends up making the case that he's more than that. It's they're treating him that way. So of course he's going to end up like acting that way and that it seems like she's already just given up or that Marty's already given up. Red. Marty has enough strikes against him as it is. He doesn't have any strikes against him. That I am scared to death that someday he is just going to give up. He's not going to give up. Well, he doesn't need you showing him how to do it. Which was kind of a harsh dig, um, but probably accurate. Seeing as he's so far supposedly like only shown up drunk here and there. I feel he tries to curb it a little bit too after this. Because yeah. this was the most drunk that we'd seen him. And it was pretty clear that after she yells at him, please don't drink in front of my son. He, You can tell that he actually did try to. Yeah, because I think this was the, the rest of the movie for the most part, other than like the, the scene when they call him and he like wakes up in bed and there's like a bottle of wild turkey next to his nightstand. Other than that, when he's with Marty at like the, the family barbecue, when he's with them, when they're doing like the, the bullet later, it's just normal Uncle Red. It's not like, oh, day drinking Uncle Red kind of deal. Yeah. Which we'll see a bit later um, in terms of, I think it's at one of the... The funerals, Uncle Red has his flask with him, but just seeing the rest of the family there, he decides to just, like, put it back. So I have the the girl who was a friend of Marty's. I have the scene listed as back to the trash father house. <laughs> so we jump back to this because this is how it's been going so far. We end up having a scene with the family. We have a scene of a murder. We have the scene of the family. We're back to having a scene of the murder. So... The father is like six beers in sitting there uh, watching wrestling of some sort. And I don't know why this line always stuck out in my head as a kid. This is the best line in the whole movie. 
<laughs> Do you want to say it? Oh, it hurts my parts. <laughs> <That's the one. laughs> I wrote that too. I wrote that in my notes too. I oh just, my god! I remember hearing it as, even as a kid and being like, <laughs> "I, I want to use that in just actual day to day conversation." Like that's a great line. Oh, that hurts my parts. Even the, the way he's talking to himself, like watching wrestling, like that. I know that's real. Like that exists. Like I've seen that, and it's it's just it's it's he plays it perfectly, just like that that whole. His whole scene, all of his stuff is great. Just how terrible he is. It's all entertaining and good to me. And John, we've got a very exciting match. We have one of the young lions in there, Brian Adidas. Come on, Rebel! We're going to bust him up tonight. We're going to kick some ass. We're going to kick some ass. Ow! Oh, my parts. (laughs) My parts. Um, (laughs) So... He ends up hearing a noise outside, so this is when he, being the the drunk father that he is, he grabs a shotgun to head outside, which, this'll go great. So he ends up heading into the, like, the shed that's connected over to, like, the greenhouse or something, and I don't know what this guy does for a living, because every shot they show in this, like, shed, it's just, like, shelves and shelves of pots. So two things. As he's walking in, I thought it was pretty cool how this reminded me of E.T. when Elliot meets E.T. for the first time. <laughs> uh, they and end then, very differently. <laughs> yes. And I thought it was just clever because Carlo Rimbaldi did the effects work for E.T. And he yeah. helped design the creature, which, or at least like bring him to life kind of thing. And I thought that was like, I wonder if that was an, like a subtle homage to that. Which because I'm tr- Do you remember which one came out First, because I I still to this day have never seen E.T., but I don't remember when it came out. So it might have been either that was after. It was 1980. Oh, wow. That was early then. Oh, 82? I thought it was June 11th. June 11th, 1982. Oh, so yeah. So this was definitely after E.T. But um, yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. Like maybe a little subtle nod. I mean, it wasn't like carbon copy, you could tell, but it was just subtle enough that some of the shots reminded me of it. Just the structure of way, the way that the, the shed was, it reminded me anyway. Like, hey, what's that weird noise that's coming from the shed going over? And uh, yeah, they definitely kind of parted ways in terms of similarity pretty harshly. <laughs> but then the other thing that I didn't understand was that you're right about the fact that he was growing plants, but when you look at all of the plants in his greenhouse and in the shed, like what the fuck is he growing? Because it just looked like they wanted to kill him in a jungle environment. So he was just surrounded by jungle plants. (laughs) He actually grew all of the scenery for predator. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And how, why is there a basement in the shed? Yeah. Cause I just wonder, it's like, is this, this guy does not strike me as a florist. So I don't know why he has all of these like tiny terracotta pots everywhere he's upset about them being smashed too yeah it'd make more sense if it was a more modern tale where he was probably just a grow house for weed yeah but none of those plants (laughs) look like weed i just thought that 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 shack looked like about 10 by 12 and yet it it seems like it's a big greenhouse when he goes inside like he's walking through that thing for a long time (laughs) it's bigger on the inside yeah it's one of those it's one of those tardis Tardish um, sheds. <laughs> Trash father was a time lord. <laughs> so, yeah, the the father florist of some sort 
I like how we do the like the eye reveal of the werewolf looking out of the plants, just because nowadays I feel like so many things are jump scares. And they even used the jump scares back then and whatnot. But I like how here you don't get that like very loud stinger when all of a sudden they just show the eyes looking out. It's like a, a softer sound cue to it. So it's not really meant to be a jump. It's just kind of a, a nice touch to it, which then ends up with the werewolf. First of all, shaking the entire building. I have no idea what he can be doing from down underneath it that he's able to shake the entire shack by himself. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was something I feel like he just wrote in because they wanted to and not because it really made any sense. Yeah, which then he bursts out of the ground, or rather he um, bursts like his arm out of the ground to the pull the guy down, um, and we end up having him get impaled on a board. This is another one that was not in the TV edit. That was also hilarious, <laughs> just the way that he <laughs> was essentially killed, not by the werewolf, but that conveniently placed board. It was uh, pretty gruesome. Well, this is why the police, when they checked the next day, said it was clearly a accident. Big-ass accident. It's a greenhouse accident. See him all the time in Tarker's Mill. That guy got beheaded at the train tracks. Accident. That woman took pills and something. Accident. I don't know how they explained that one. I think that's the only one that the police force at this point was like, no, this is a murder. <laughs> Those pills really did a number on this young lady. <laughs> <laughs> So this is when the sheriff actually starts a curfew following this, because we get to the the next day, the sheriff is doing a curfew. You're seeing everybody kind of start pulling in um, early into the night. So like the parents are pulling their kids inside. We have Marty and Brady up at the park doing their kites, which I like how we see Marty up in a tree trying to get his kite down while his friend is down there still flying his kite. If my friend didn't have the use of his legs, and his kite got stuck in a tree, I wouldn't be like, you can get it. I'm busy. Be a good friend. (laughs) This is where we piss off his his upper body strength. Like, he just pulls himself up into that tree. Just like these wiry, rippling shoulder muscles. (laughs) This kid is jacked. (laughs) Chris Redfield, when he trained to punch that boulder, trained from this guy. That's how much upper body strength this kid has. Well, I like how instead of climbing the tree, he grabs the trunk and bends it so he can grab his kite. (laughs) But his friend at this point, I guess, um, I don't have the actual lines that he says, but my notes flat out say like, yeah, this kid's next to die. He's just being a complete (laughs) fucking douchebag. Well, so at this point, um... Like the Jane shows up because she says it's dinner time. They've been looking, which didn't cross my mind until now. How tough was it in the pre cell phone date? Like I didn't have a cell phone growing up until I think like middle of high school, but I don't remember early on. If you go hang out with friends somewhere, it must be tough to be like, tell them to come home. It's time for dinner. How, how do you get a hold of them? <laughs> Unless you physically go there, this you have to work more- on the honor system. This is also more why I sympathize with Jane a lot, because she said that she's the one that got yelled at because he wasn't home for dinner. Brady, I got it. Great. Marty Claus, how you get out of that tree? Supper was ready an hour ago, Dumbo. Oh, jeez. I forgot. She mad? Yeah. At me for not finding you sooner. Yeah. Like, why is she getting yelled at? Like, he's out playing, doing whatever the fuck. Why is she the one that's responsible for him? Like... It's your son. Yeah. 
Because I feel like this isn't even necessarily a case of Marty being in the wrong. It's like, no, your parents are handling this entire situation poorly. I want to know why Brady is so enamored with the kite that he wanted to stay there until fucking like nine o'clock at night flying this kite. <laughs> you going home, Brady? No, I'm going to close this place down. <laughs> like I figure after you can't, see, can't really see the kite anymore, you're like, ah, I think I should go home. <laughs> <laughs> Nope, he stays out late enough to get brutally murdered. Well, I like how... So, first of all, this is the first time I noticed when Marty climbs back into his wheelchair. He has a push to start. Fancy. Um, but I like how they then... He's like... Hey, Brady, you coming? In a while. And then they do this, like, pensive look on Corey Haim's face as he just watches him from the distance. And then they cut back to Brady flying a kite. And then they cut back to Corey Haim just sitting there kind of just looking at him, and then they come back to him flying the kite, and it's like, no foreshadowing. <laughs> this kid's gonna be fine. I thought, to me, I thought it was, it almost like, I think it was unintentional, but it, it it seemed like they were, are they trying to make Marty look like he's jealous, like that, or mad that his friend won't come with him home or something? Because he, the, his, the look on Corey Haim's face was almost like, his brow was a little furrowed, just kind of staring at him like, having fun there while he has to the, go home. It the IMDb a, trivia said that apparently this shot was meant to signify Marty feeling this was the last time he was going to see his friend, which he's I got think the is shining. a little, little bullshit, but I mean... I think it was Marty telepathically summoning the werewolf. <laughs> Kill this okay. asshole that won't get Sending the kite down from out of the tree. <laughs> <laughs> The, the town is, like, passing the hat, sending over a collection to Reverend Lowe. <laughs> Brady, Brady, Brady. <laughs> that kid ran over my cockroaches. He killed them all. <laughs> <laughs> my one cockroach in my cockroach farm. It was just starting. <laughs> it would have gone places. So I paid $100 for that cockroach. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so nothing happens to Brady, and he lives a long, successful life. So we go back to the bar. Starts a kite business. I don't know how. (laughs) So we go back to the bar, and this is the beginning of a character who provides all of the lines that my brother and I quote to this day whenever we see each other. (laughs) They're back in the bar, and they're kind of doing the same thing of people kind of arguing. And then this uh, middle-aged man walks in in a suit, and he says, Has anybody in here seen my son, Brady? And so we cut over to the sheriff up at where the park was, and he finds Brady. We never see Brady. In the book, to my knowledge, I think he gets, like, decapitated and disemboweled. We never see Brady here. So the I, bloody smiley I say, face I was. I have to just have to say, I was really, like, on the edge of my seat, so to speak. Like, are they going to, like, show... Are they going to show this or not? Like, I really didn't know. If they were well, going to do like a quick cut of like Brady's dead body or not. Growing up on the TV edit where it's the scene of like when the father sees and he just looks and he does. Oh, ah, and he makes like his his noises. I thought, oh boy, if I saw this on the TV edit, I don't know if there's another cut scene when I watch this the first time. 
And then there wasn't. And I was like, oh, okay. So they just never show this. It wasn't like a cut thing. Right. Is there yeah, like a stipulation dodgy. in movies where you can't show children dead? I don't you know, you, know. You definitely see. You, you definitely see it. I mean, um, I, I think it might be a faux pas. Um, yeah, right. I mean, like hereditary but, comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, hereditary. Uh, Nothing modern. Feast too terrified. Okay. Um, Mo- modern. Yeah. I don't know. Not modern. I mean, I don't know. But like from the eighties, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. There might be. I mean, there very well could be, but off the top of my head, I can't think of any on-screen depictions of a child dead. In the case um, of like a mauling or something like that. If you're listening, write us with your dead children scenes. We'll compile them. I. The only one that comes to mind is, oh, I forgot if I think it was Lucio Fulci, uh, Don't Torture a Duckling, that the entire thing was about like a rash of child killings in a town. And then all the townsfolk like hunting somebody down that they think is the killer who may or may not be innocent. But that's the only one that comes to mind. But I mean, the exact plot was about child murders. Mm. So (laughs) that's your thing, I guess. Check out Don't Torture Duckling. No, it's a good movie, but it's. If you're into kind of the, um, I th- want to say it was like l- late 70s, early 80s. Um, but yeah, it's it's a good one. Trying to figure out who the werewolf was actually was a little fun. I was trying to do that through the whole movie, trying to start placing my guess. Like it was, <laughs> it was boiled down to like Red or the priest. Oh, that would have been rough if it was Uncle Red. Yeah, because it was just trying not- to place like it's going to be someone close to marty in some kind of way that's the only like it's just for good storytelling of course it's going to be that it would be weird if it was just someone really random and i really Radio. felt like it was i i think i wrote it at some point like i give it 10 percent. it could be red but it could be the priest too if it was uncle red that would be heartbreaking yeah i i thought they were setting that up and when i yeah when gary Busey is first build on the credits at the beginning next to the moon i was like oh he's the werewolf that was just my first like just guess not even knowing anything um, what if they made they, the mistake I, of putting it in the opening credits where it's like and everett mcgill as the werewolf <laughs> oh i did think they gave it away i mean it's like it was like oh it's obviously him at the one you know the one scene which we'll get to but i thought i was like they're really trying to reveal that moment later when uh jane figures it out i was like oh they kind of really gave it away already yeah, it was already kind of telegraphed at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would have been terrible if it was Uncle Red. Gives him the fireworks, gets shot in the eye. Then the next day, Uncle Red shows up with the eye patch. I need all those fireworks back. It was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> He's sitting the, with them on uh, Halloween with the gun. When the TV shuts off, he takes the bullet out and just drops it down the sink. Uncle Red, what are you doing? <laughs> So yeah, has anybody seen my son, my boy, like all, all this stuff? So now we cut to the funeral. So where I was talking before that I feel like Uncle Red is a deeply flawed individual who does want to be better because I like how he grabs his flask at the funeral and then he looks over and sees like Marty's face and sees everybody else kind of watching at the like what's going on on, on the main stage at the funeral. So and then he ends up putting his <laughs> flask back away again and it's. I think this is the the last point where we really see Uncle Red with alcohol other than like the wild turkey scene when he wakes up. So I think, yeah, Nick, when you said like you don't really see him drunk the rest of the movie, 
it might just be him trying to be better because of that first interaction with the the mother. Much respect. Yeah. I did actually think that Red was going to give Marty a drink at this point. Like, man, you must need it. He takes out his flask, looks at Marty. And just the way that he went to go put the flask back into his pocket made it look more like he was handing him the flask. <laughs> it's time but, you have this. The thing that I don't you get, this though, more than is I that... Do. Uh, actually, I could be skipping ahead. Uh, no, because this is for his friend's funeral. The only thing that made me kind of like, what was how quick Marty were to think a werewolf could be doing this? Yeah, he kind of jumped to like monster. I had that thought. I was going to write that down. And I was like, I, I was feeling I was like, maybe they're thinking we're filling in the gaps where it's known that like people were kind of torn apart. Reverend, he was torn apart. His little girlfriend said she heard growls and stuff like coming from the. Oh, that's so true. He might just I mean, thinking they animal, live... but he he did leap to uh, paranormal or yeah, and even though quickly. even though we know as the audience because we're able to see those events transpire, the railroad, the pregnant woman, we know the werewolf did it, but the kid wouldn't have no idea about this, and even. I... Right. If it was the talk of the town, it would be so far in the back of his mind. I don't think he would actually think of that because you're a kid. You don't think of like day to day murders and stuff or even think twice to try to get more detail about it. I really doubt that. Yeah. Or even if it's a case of like the I think the biggest giveaway probably would have been the the pregnant woman of came in through like broke through the window, clawed her and then went back out through the window that it's like, well, that probably wouldn't be like, yeah, a wolf or a bear climbed up the trellis, came through the window, but also I would think crazy person first. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, some crazy yeah. guy with like claws or something came in rather than nope, lycanthrope. I um so I, yeah, uh, I, I I was gonna write that that exact thing down and I and I was like, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But I, nope, I see where you're nope. coming from because I thought that too. No benefit. <laughs> Also, I think Everett McGill makes a great Southern preacher in this movie every time he's like up at the, the podium or the pulpit. I think for anybody who knows the uh, show Preacher or knows the comic Preacher, I think he, if they made it in the 80s, he would have been a pretty good Jesse Custer a, uh, for Preacher. But this is when we end up getting Marty, as he said, confessing that he thinks it's a monster. And then Uncle Red mentioned something about like it's probably a psycho because psychotics are more active when the moon is full. Is that an actual study? I always hear that, but I don't know if it's just like a an urban legend kind of deal. I think it's just an old wives' tale, if anything. Like one of those, just like uh, just an old saying. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I <thought laughs> so you were the gravitational like... pull, but that doesn't matter what shadow the moon is. It's it's still there. It doesn't matter if it's casting a shadow yeah. or not. I think it's just pulls all the evil out of the brain <laughs> to the surface. So following the funeral. Back to the bar. So this is when the mutton chop Andy is kind of getting everybody together. Everybody's kind of in their vests and hats and weaponry. And they're looking to start forming a mob to go hunt down whatever person or whatever kind of did all this. And the sheriff tries to shut this thing down and say that they're going to catch him. At which point he is told, we'll catch him. You couldn't catch a cold. That's yeah, pretty good. I mean, he's not. He's not wrong. It's, he's yeah. not wrong. Yeah. 
Like, I just wanted one guy next to him just, like, give him dap or something for that and just be like, it, it, it was pretty good. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> I mean, they instituted that curfew, and the kid broke curfew, so, like, what more can you possibly say? Yeah, at that point, it's kind of his own fault. Yeah. So, if anything, the sheriff should be more upset. He should also be willing to start the... Uh... Mob? <laughs> no, well, he called it deputizing, but he should have done that, too. Just deputize all of them. Hands you a badge. You're all deputized now. Darkest Mill only has the one badge, so (laughs) figure out a system. I love how you shoot your gun. You give him the badge, then you can shoot. (laughs) Otherwise, it's illegal. How I did love how the cop, the 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 real deputy, was about to get into that fist fight with the other patron. Right, but right as when I think um, Marty's friend's dad is the one that came into the bar. Yeah. Because they're still just so upset nothing is happening because this is the second murder that happened so quickly. Which I like. There's a lot of good lines in this scene that I ended up liking. I think the kind of a a good mini speech from the sheriff or kind of a a good line from the sheriff. The law has a name for what you people are planning. It's called private justice. And private justice is about a step and a half away from lynch mobs and hang ropes. Now, I may be no J. Edgar Hoover, but I am the law in Tarker's Mills. It's like, you're ineffective as a sheriff and a law enforcement agent. That sounds kind of cool to be able to say that. Like, yeah. I'm not J. Edgar Hoover, but I'm the law in Tarker's Mill. <laughs> I'm the law. It was, a, it, was a good, it was a good line. I'm the law. <laughs> and then Brady's father comes in and sh- throws it in his face. Yeah, he, he comes in. And he says he just came from the funeral. It was daylight. Then they had the scene of them going home from the funeral. And it was still like noon. And now it's nighttime. How long was that funeral? <laughs> maybe just maybe he's at the graveyard for a long time or something. Well, funerals can be pretty long. Um, you know, you have the funeral, the actual like burying ceremony. The, oh, then usually yeah. like, I mean, like the... the... I don't want to call it after party, but like the reception. That's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no mine's gonna have an after party no most of the town was celebrating because brady was brady they were like good riddance you little shit my son was torn to pieces <laughs> my cockroaches they're saved <laughs> if i was that sheriff I'd, he would have given me you know he was trying he uh brady's father was trying to make him feel bad i'll be like this would all have worked if your kid wasn't such a snotless little brat. He yeah. deserved to be ripped apart, as you say. Also, is he carrying... Why does he have photos of his son's ripped apart body? I assume that's what he was holding up. He's a masochist. Because they didn't have Facebook back then, so this is the only way you can show people. <laughs> My son's to, last selfie. He has Jesus. to run person to person just showing them a series of photographs. <laughs> Like, do you like this? You, do you not you like this? <laughs> Hold on, I'm keeping track. Let me write it down. Um, <laughs> can I can I sketch it real quick? I want to share it. <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah. I I'm surprised the sheriff was didn't tell the father. Like honestly, this werewolf saved this town a bullet. Like it was only a matter of time. <laughs> we were going to lynch Brady tomorrow. That werewolf saved oh, all our souls about the from werewolf? murder. I was here to, about Brady, but he's already dead. Um, <laughs> private so, justice. Yeah, which 
then the this is when the father ends up saying like you come in here and talk to these men about private justice you dare to do that why don't you go out to harmony hill sheriff heller and dig up what's left of my boy brady and explain to him about private justice would you want to do that? It's like, you had a cool line that you're the law in Tarker's Mill. It's also kind of a cool line shutting you back down again. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was a great line. Yeah. Which, this was the other one. My brother and I always quote, my boy was torn to pieces. <laughs> Bases. Yeah. My son was torn to pieces. Pieces. My son was torn to pieces while showing the picture. Like, look. Yeah, and I don't Somebody think do we we don't see him. the the picture, so we don't know if it was like no. the body or if it was like actually just like normal Brady, just like a them not showing the picture made me think they're not gonna if they didn't show you the body when he was dead, they're not gonna show it now. So that's yeah. why I thought it was like the torn up body. Yeah, I'm like why not why not show his picture like to drive home the guilt or something like if it was just his normal like school picture or something. <laughs> What is it with the wrong photo and it wasn't Brady? His my death son, is- and then he looks, oh, not my <laughs> son, he holds up a different one. <laughs> His death is the only one that I felt was inconsistent with all the other killings. Because, yeah, the kid was a dick, but I didn't think it merited the same warrant as, like, a drunk father or a woman, a pregnant woman that wants to kill herself. Like, I just don't feel like out of those three... They should all be judged equally. Cause you know? I, yeah, because I mean, if you're going by the fact that in his head as the reverend that, okay, so he stopped the other woman from killing herself to save her so she her soul can go to heaven. He stopped the other father who is like, uh, we're assuming is probably like abusive or something like that. Brady, it's like, you'll never throw another snake in this town again. Yeah, right. <laughs> it just seems so I extreme. Guess- I guess I just took it as him grasping grasping at straws and the suicide prevention was his only real very thin um, defense. I I mean, or unless it's a case of like, as time goes on, he just gets a little more unhinged. Maybe. I I don't know. Because he he did seem that way because he seemed pretty collected and calm. And then it seemed as Marty kind of picked up on the trail. And figured out, like, oh, he's a werewolf. The more he learned and kind of got closer to it, the more unhinged the Reverend got. Yeah. Yes. Which which confused me as to his true feelings about everything. He didn't want it to... He wanted it to end, except he was still protecting himself. So, yeah, it was a little bit strange. Because hey, it makes you wonder how long he had been a werewolf at that point. Yes. Yeah. Three days. <laughs> I'm new to this thing. <laughs> yeah, because maybe I don't know. Maybe it's just like I'm thinking too deep into it. Because it's just like usually when I think werewolf, I think either you're just infected or you've been pretty well established for a long period of time. So he has to be new to that town because he knows what he's doing. Like I don't know. It's just the same thing as vampirism. You know, like either you just turned into a vampire or you've been one for the last thousand years and you're trying to acclimate to a new town to target it. So it just seemed like I didn't I didn't catch any kind of line where like, oh, the new priest is in town and he's throwing us some kind of like big carnival thing. Let's all go to there. And that's the scene where the snake happens, you know, yeah. or anything like that. 
So it just, to me, it seemed like the small town always had this priest and this priest just decided out of nowhere, I'm going to start killing people. I don't know. Yeah. Cause if it's a case of, okay, he wasn't always a werewolf, then what, where was the catalyst werewolf in that case? And why weren't there any other attacks anywhere nearby? And if it was a case of he's always a werewolf, then we have to assume that, as he said, he's new to this town, but they just never covered anything in explaining like, oh yeah, he's new to this town. It would yeah, be really a funny. Bit of, bit of hole there. So in the Stephen King universe, this takes place near Derry, right? I mean, I think everything takes place near Derry in the Stephen King universe. So in the Stephen King novel of It, one of the manifestations the It transformed into was the Wolfman, wasn't it? Yeah, but in the... I don't know if that was in the... I think it was in the 50s. Yeah, also I don't remember if that's in the the book or just the tv version because they turn into the they turn into the werewolf in the tv one at least because they had just left the movie theater to see um i think like i was a teenage werewolf or something damn i thought it was the werewolf in the book i I know they changed the book yeah so i thought it would have been really like cool as a like lead up that the priest became or contracted the like lycanthropy from the wolf from it like he was he had a run-in i like it's the interconnected worlds of the stephen king books always fascinates me and i always mean to go through and like check all of the connections out at some point but it's just there's not a lot of time in my day and there are a lot (laughs) of books to read through at that point yeah it's like trying to deal with the marvel universe but stephen king literary universe yep yeah which I think the, the one scene that we're missing is last Halloween when Brady eggs Reverend Lowe's car and Reverend Lowe just kind of gives him a glare. And then that's why he kills him in this scene. <laughs> He's just now all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's I was saving his soul because we knew we knew he was going to do something worse eventually. Do you know Everybody in the town nodding. Oh, he was kind of he was bad. It's for the greater good. The greater good. <laughs> 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 what if the werewolf the shows up to the good. hill to kill him and it's just like seven townsfolk and he's already dead and he's like whoa <laughs> runs back off into the woods these people are animals <laughs> is this the one werewolf right <laughs> <laughs> you people they are catch sick them werewolves then <laughs> um. so, <laughs> so we now back to the bar uh, we now proceed to see the world's dumbest search party. Um, so <laughs> this is like people with... of like it was like the Jaws scene, except with a lot exactly. less. Um, I, I ep- thought more of like the South ep- Park, people. like just angry mob, rabble, rabble, rabble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because this is. I feel like more and more, the more I'm thinking about it, this is a lot of similarities to like a Jaws type situation. Because yeah, it's just a bunch of people. They grab their guns run off into the dark and as they're getting into their cars reverend Lowe is kind of coming in from outside and he sees all of them running and he's trying to stop them that like don't form a mob don't go out into the woods kind of deal which at this point i think isn't the tipping its hat or tipping or showing its hand no. rather um no because at this point you just assume like no reverend Lowe just doesn't want them forming a mob because a hundred people leaving a bar with guns is not right. going to end well right it's not what God and honestly, wants. he's the priest. He would, I'd assume, to be the only one of like clear mental health in this whole yeah. thing. He would try to be the mediator. So I would imagine too that 
yeah, he is the werewolf, but not knowing that, he's just being what a what a priest should do. Yeah. Which come to think of it, actually, if he has enough forethought to tell all these people like don't go in the woods. So clearly it's a case of he doesn't want anything to happen to them. He wants them to be safe. That's so, what I took from it later so on. Why doesn't he just lock himself up at night? Right. <laughs> like, this was one of the problems I had with the movie. I had a There's just a lot of inconsistent li- yeah. kind of behavior. Yeah, up until the moment he is discovered, it's like he seems like he wants to keep it a secret or but he doesn't he doesn't like what he's doing or wants doesn't want to hurt people. That's why I like that idea of a self-righteous werewolf. That yeah, he has a killing nature, but being a priest, he tries to play God and judge people and kill them for their deadly sins. So like a you know, the suicidal mother that has a bastard child, the um the drunk that doesn't take care of his daughter, the school bully. Brady. Yeah. <laughs> Ruins pantyhose. Yeah. I mean, now I'm just picturing it's essentially like seven, but if at the end of seven Kevin Spacey was a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> Which I would watch if you gave us like a almost like a neo noir werewolf meets seven type thing of he's going through and he's bumping off all of these people that he finds to be sinners. If that's the case, right. He's doing it for their own good. Right. But that, yeah, I was kind of retroactively like, Oh, like he's trying to stop them from going out and getting themselves killed. And I was like, or is he trying to stop them from going out and killing him when he knows he's going to turn later? I don't know. It was kind of like, <laughs> uh, yeah, self preservation or pre- preserving them because he has, we get that one private moment with him where he's like, what I'm doing is terrible and this is terrible. But then, yes, the actions don't. It, it, it's inconsistent, so it just throws you off, I think. Yeah, because yeah. I think like later on he like wakes up in bed and he's like, please, God, let it end. Yeah, that's um, what I'm... Or something that's, to that effect. That's when I knew it was like, oh, yeah, he's the werewolf. Like That, that was the pretty hard indicator. <laughs> it's, it's a red I thought herring. the nightmare was. That's when yeah, I realized. That's like, when he oh, wakes listen. up. Oh, yeah, I, like... Yeah. 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 So we have a hundred people in the dark with guns. So everybody's out in the woods, um, walking through some sort of wooded area with a fog John Carpenter would be proud of. And I felt bad because, like, I liked the gas station guy. This is when we see him again. He's with his friend. And then his friend gets caught in the bear trap. And then we have this, like, oddly comedic scene. <laughs> the comedic uh, that him was. <laughs> trying to unlatch the bear trap and then hearing a noise and then letting it go on his leg again. Oh, it hurts his parts. <laughs> Twice. That was funny. That was a good game. Yeah, it was. Ah! Get off me. Get what is it? My foot. My foot. Get it off me. I'm coming. I'm Sure. 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 Okay. 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 Hey, okay. Over here. Ah! Okay. Hold on. Okay. Okay. So, this is when they're all kind of splitting up and whatnot. Um, some wife asks her husband if he's going to make lemonade in his pants, and he's like, oh, "I'm not scared." And then they all <laughs> proceed to get mauled. so as a kid like we have this like thick fog that's up to like waist level so you can't see what's underneath it but you're hearing the growling and another scene that was taken out of tv 
is there's a guy at one point when he says like we should like back up Andy real slow and then you see a hand come out and like grab him and pull him under and in the TV version that was it like then uh it's the rest of the people getting attacked and whatnot but in this you then have him pop back up from the fog and half his face is missing yeah <laughs> wasn't the greatest um prosthetic like it was i think it was just like a completely fake dude or maybe it was wearing a fake face or something but it might have been the dummy yeah that, it that was pretty pretty surprised gory. me <laughs> Yeah, because then we have uh, one of my favorite images from this movie is the bartender with his Peacemaker baseball bat ends up finding the the werewolf, which we don't see. He's under the fog and you just see the bat as he's beating the werewolf. And then all of a sudden you hear a noise and then you see the bat change to the other side of the screen and the werewolf starts beating him with the bat. I thought that was funny. (laughs) Which it's like, it's funny. And then also that means... Does Reverend Lowe have that much awareness as the werewolf that he's not just like this animalistic tearing this guy apart? It's, no, I'm going to catch the bat as you swing with it, pull it out of your hands, and then beat you with it for the sheer irony. Yeah, I have a note that says, Wolfman can use bats. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty pretty clear. It's like the famous Monster Squad quote. It's not the first time he uses the bat, too. <laughs> <laughs> if, I mean, it's not the last time, rather. <laughs> so, you just you hear the growling, and everybody's kind of concerned. All of a sudden, you just hear the click of like a revolver. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second! <laughs> just a, a furry hand comes out with like a snub nose, like Colonel Chi and Surf Ninjas. <laughs> Takes a hostage. Kick. Um. <laughs> Grabs mutton chops, Andy. Has got to his head. <laughs> it led me out of I'll here. I'll kill see? him. <laughs> uh, uh. All the town is like, we saw what you did to Brady. We love your work. So this was the end of the search party here. And we immediately go into another funeral scene at the church, which is a, a great misdirection. It's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, it's kind I, of didn't, funny. I didn't like the like scene. It just funny. felt like it was way like something's fucky and I don't like it, you know, like just watching it. It just seemed like really out of context. And I figured this was going to be some kind of dream sequence really soon. And sure enough, but it just felt really out of context that it's just like, why are you having werewolf dreams? And that's the part where I really started to not like it because I had that idea of like a self-righteous werewolf that I've already mentioned several times. And it's just like, are you are you conscious of your current self? Or when you go werewolf, do you completely like hulk out and you have no memory and you just wake up like, oh, what did I do? And it just seemed like he was too aware of what was happening sometimes that it was him that was under control while being the werewolf. And I just I never fully um, got behind his actions and all that. Yeah. The like his kind of motives and his awareness aside, like, yeah, with the scene, we get that funeral and then it's something slightly off kilter. And then it's just kind of more stuff starts going off kilter. It's just kind of, it's much different from the previous funeral scene. So as you said, it, something seems wrong with it. And then at that point, when he's talking on, um, doing like his, uh, homily or doing whatever his, uh, his sermon is, 
that's when all of a sudden he sees the Brady's father saying that he's uh, reverend. He was torn apart. And all of a sudden, everybody starts getting like a little bit furry and you start seeing teeth. And all of a sudden, everybody starts transforming, which I love how it's like, oh, American Werewolf in London had a great transformation. Here's 50 werewolves in one scene. (laughs) It was a monster match. (laughs) So it's like, I always love the organist when all of a sudden it cuts over and it's a werewolf just pounding on the keys as blood starts coming out of the piano. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of makeup for just that like... 30 seconds of screen time. I wonder if this scene was always intended to be there, like in this way, or if it was something decided after the fact, because if the producer and whatnot didn't like the other werewolf one, it was okay, fine. You want more werewolves. Here's all the (laughs) werewolves. Pick one of them. That was the makeup test scene. They just threw it in there. (laughs) He just, do a lineup, all of them have to stand there, and it's like, which one do we want as our main werewolf? <laughs> uh, can number two please step forward and growl? I did like these werewolves better than the actual final result, too. Because these were the more... These are more um, like wolfman kind of yeah. werewolves. Yeah, because it's still like the no snout or anything like that. It's still the, the face um, for the most part. It was almost closer to like the Monster Squad type werewolf, where it's still the human-esque face that's wolfified um mm-hmm. if that's a word he was a, i would say he's the scariest out of what we what we're talking about which scariest one? looking anyway the monster, monster squad, squad wolf man yeah i don't remember oh well when it's my next round pick we'll get to it so yeah we have this scene everything goes haywire he wakes up from like a cold sweat and we see Reverend Lowe and that's when he says, let it end, dear God, let it end. So we don't know if, does he not have a choice? Is he not doing this willingly? As you guys stated, it seems like certain things that have happened, he has to have some level of awareness while in wolf form. So it's like, I don't know what the case is here. Like, is he yeah. truly regretful or is it more like, I'm just tired of doing this? <laughs> I mean, because he, yeah, I mean, he has a vendetta against Marty later, so it's like... <laughs> yeah, it doesn't take much to put him into His the... human mind and is conscious of what's... Uh, conscious of what has happened in his normal life and carries over somewhat. To throw him off his trail, he should have killed one person in human form. And then they'd have been like, oh, this doesn't beat the M.O. <laughs> this looks like... It's a snub-nosed revolver bullet. <laughs> Also, let it end, dear God, let it end is what I say at the beginning of every workday. So so we have the fair of some sort. So now we have the 4th of July fireworks, which I like how in the beginning of the movie, we end up seeing the kind of overhead shot leading into the, the town green. And we see everybody there. We essentially get a similar shot now, except now it's like just one lone car driving through. And then we see that the fireworks have been canceled due to mass murder, which reasonable. It's the worst part of the movie. I mean, like the you know, the worst thing to happen in the movie is the cancellation of the fireworks. Yeah, yeah, not well, all the deaths and all the pain and suffering. It's just no fireworks. Oh, they canceled the fireworks. Oh, it's no fair. Well, I like how Marty kind of treats it like these are equal things because it's like, yeah, first my best friend dies. Then I don't get fireworks. It's like, yeah, those are the two things that go back to back. You know, it's not enough that the monster killed all those people. 
He killed Brady. And that was Gotham to cancel the fair. And the fireworks. Yeah, and the fireworks. That's another thing. See, this is why Jane is in the right. He's a spoiled brat. <laughs> yeah. So Uncle Red is working on a gift to cheer Marty up, which a sober Uncle Red seems like such a fun uncle here. And I don't know if, how much of that is just like Gary Busey shining through as Uncle Red um, from like the mid 80s of just he seems like a genuinely fun guy to have around at a barbecue. He's a um, uncle. When he gives when Red gives um, Marty the, the car, which I will call Silver Bullet Mark Two, he's like, oh, my God, is this for me? And like, I was like, I've actually had it with him at this point. And I really did like with the argument that his sister had with her, their parents in the car ride just before the scene, like, what the fuck, man? Like, no, it's not for you. It's for your sister. So she can fucking find you whenever you decide to fuck off and play with kites while your fucking parents are waiting for dinner. Like, Jesus Christ, man. Yes, it's for you. <laughs> Is it for me? No, it's for me. He bullet. hops it and takes off. <laughs> oh, Fucking kid. And then not only that, not only that, like his mom will never let him keep that thing. Yeah, because even if it's a case of like, don't let your mother know how fast that goes. Oh, I'm sure when she looks at that exhaust, she'll know. It's double in size (laughs) and the fact that it's loud as fuck that you can show. It's not it's not like he can walk it away to try to conceal the thing but at the Although, same time with like, his arms he can probably manually operate that thing yeah, no kidding <laughs> i mean it's it'll come up later but he like sneaks out of the house and i just thought like how did he sneak out of the house and leave the property and get to the road without that thing waking anybody up because just turning it on they both have to shout to be able to continue talking here's how you started you remember what i told you now be damn careful. Okay. How you started? Put, put your hand on the brake. Push. There you go. Push. Sounds good, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you ready? Yes. Yeah. Also, if this is Silver Bullet Mark II, is the like Silver Bullet Mark III the one that comes in the briefcase and the Silver Bullet Mark IV the nanite one? <laughs> no, the Mark IV I thought was the one that um, he jumps out the window and it follows him. <laughs> well, maybe mm, not him. coming out of his glasses. <laughs> so, fireworks canceled due to mass murder. Gary Busey, great uncle. We get the silver bullet wheelchair. I like how the music kind of does that, like the uh, the theme music kind of swelling up to the reveal of the new silver bullet. And then that music during his joyride scene, um, which I think is actually called Joyride. They also played in the end credits. For some reason, ever since I was a kid, like whenever I get into a car and it's a nice day and we're driving, that's the song that pops up into my head all the time. And I still have no idea who did that song. A's guitar. Guitar. A's guitar. Which, so Marty ends up... uh, coming back they end up explaining he takes off for a joyride uncle red is laying on the ground because he knows he probably is going to end up getting yelled at for doing this and marty tells him like you know i don't get you and uncle red just like casually does i know you don't this thing goes super super fast i know it goes super fast and you better watch it 
Because if your mother finds out just how fast it goes, I'm going to end up singing soprano in the Vienna Boys Choir. You know, I don't get you. I know you don't. And it was just like <laughs> quick and so nonchalant that I just wonder if that was one of Gary Busey's ad libs. Because it's just like. Definitely. <laughs> it, it doesn't seem like it was written. It just seems like, yeah, I know you don't. <laughs> yeah, nobody does. But that's not the point. Marty. Yeah. M- M- Marty. <laughs> They do have that a little bit of that relationship, except uh, <laughs> I would watch too that. Confident <laughs> Uncle Red hopping through uh, dimensions, bringing Marty along on the silver <laughs> bullet. I'm out of practice. I want to do the line so bad. God, I do like geez. Gary's line there. Uh, I think I think the 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 priest is a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez, jeez, Red. <laughs> there we go. Uh, Marty, there's, the no, there's, no, uh, there's no such thing as werewolves, Marty. <laughs> um, Gary's line here where he's like, You're like, I'm gonna, if your mother catches you going that fast, I'm gonna be singing soprano in the Vienna Boys Choir. <laughs> <laughs> That's what prompts um, Marty to say, I don't get you. <laughs> yeah. it's, like a, Which, it's a great line. I wonder. I wonder if both, like, that back and forth was completely ad-libbed, because it's like, I'm going to be singing soprano the Vienna Boys Choir. You know, I don't get you. Yeah, I know you don't. <laughs> it does feel very natural. It's funny. Yeah. yeah. They had a great relationship in the movie. It really flowed naturally, and it definitely showed. Yeah. Which also, like, seeing their cookout that they're having at their house makes me just miss summer cookouts. This mm. just seems fun. Thanks, COVID. Yeah, you can have them again though. We're back to that point, pretty much, kind of. Eh. So they leave the cookout. Red has Marty walk him, has him bring him over to his car, and Red loads him up with fireworks because something. I think it was like the some psycho's not going to keep the good guys down or something like that. So we're going to have Fourth of yeah. July fireworks, but we're going to have them in September. Which I don't understand, because I feel like unless there was a really hard time change between scenes, they see the fireworks thing that there's no 4th of July fireworks. And then they jumped directly to the next scene where they were doing the the reveal of the silver bullet. So I don't know if it's supposed to be like a month later or something like that, or if he just means like, you'll have these and you can do them whenever you want kind of deal. It was like 30 days of night where I felt through the movie, even though it's supposed to take place over a long period of time, it didn't feel that way while watching it. And it felt like no. it more happened. That was the in confusing this, part. Yeah, because you, to, you telling us that it actually happened over the course of basically a year, I didn't get that feeling whatsoever. I legit thought that it was like, on Monday, the first person died. Then on Tuesday, the next person died. Then on, on Wednesday, the mob went out and they all got killed. Yeah, which I think it might just be because they didn't really, at least I didn't notice, like there was no change to scenery or things like that. So there's no indication of a changing of seasons. Yeah, Um, right. Which it's like, yeah, if they're shooting in North Carolina, which I don't know if that was entirely done there or if it was only like they still use sets in other parts. But I feel like if they're shooting on location in certain things, yeah, it's a little bit tougher to try to. Change the entire area the into the next season. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I know they kind of try to they throw a line in there to like fudge the werewolf lore, but it's like you know, if it's usually it's like full moon attacks. Like that's why I thought, oh, it can't be like over the course of a couple of days or a couple of weeks because the moon is not full. You know, it's got to 
go through its cycle. That's why it's called Cycle of the Werewolf, right? So <laughs> I was like, this has to be taking place over time, and because unless he's a werewolf every night, which would be inconsistent. But in any case, so he says not to uh, abuse these fireworks, don't do them alone, all that fun stuff. So naturally, the very next scene is Marty sneaking out at night to launch fireworks by himself. Now, mind you, this kid is this this kid is crippled. So just think, let that sink in for a second. So he sneaks out by climbing out the window, climbing down his trellis that, you know, with like that thing next to the house. He was smart enough to not only that, also park his motorbike wheelchair next to said trellis. So he can just, and then start it up and then manage to escape out where in the middle of nowhere in his neighborhood, Starting that up would sound like you can hear that from miles away. Yeah. So I do think they could have done a little better job, like like on this wherever he wherever he's moving himself onto things or like moving onto the chair that takes him up the stairs, like he's not you can tell he's like he knows he has the use of his legs, like the actor, Corey Haim, like he's not really not using his legs. Like it's a he's little not, apparent. He's not really paralyzed? <laughs> but I mean, like, if you really did not, like, you like, I, I'm sure he could act like that. Like, I can't use my legs. Like, if you really did that, you'd have a much harder time getting around than he shows in the movie. I mean, yeah, He's it's not like Daniel Day Lewis and my left foot kind of deal. Um, <laughs> but I think, like, I, I mean, I, I'm no expert, but I think, like, he no, does a I'm not either. Job. But I can just um, watch him do it. Like, oh, he's. You can see him like moving his legs to get into position. I'm like, well, you can't do that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's like there's an awareness of he'll reach down and he'll grab his leg, but it's like he moves it really lazily, just kind of like bumps it with his arm and his leg moves. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know like how exactly uh, accurate that may look. Um, Maybe it's only a partial. I don't know how. Maybe it's partial paralysis. I don't know. My bigger question is, okay, great. So he parked his bike downstairs. How did he explain getting upstairs then? So did he just ride that thing over there, stop, and then yell to somebody, hey, I want to go in tonight. And then somebody had to come over there and get him and not think it's weird that it's like, yeah, why would I mean, you just stop d- your wheelchair here? And then like, well, he does have the inside, you know, the standard wheelchair for going around the house and stuff. Yeah, but so, that was inside. He clearly, you know, climbed down his window. Yeah, but yeah. I'm saying he parks it. He's like, okay, I'm ready to go in and like go to bed. So they go get his regular wheelchair for him, and he transfers. But wouldn't they find that weird that it's like, why wouldn't you park it, though, by the front door then, or, like, put it in? Why would they just leave this thing outside or, like, out of the garage? Just let me park it here, call somebody over, bring my other wheelchair, get me into that, and then bring me inside. Yeah, the more stealthy I mean, I, route would have probably... That, I think we're reading too much into that particular one. I think that one's yeah. okay. What I if he it, parked it there and then he climbed up the trellis into the room? <laughs> well, I would buy that because of how strong he is. Where's Marty? Totally I'm upstairs, Mom. How? <laughs> <laughs> Have you been fooling us for years? <laughs> well, not only is he super strong, but he's super smart to go out in the middle of the night, in the dark, late at night, with a killer on the loose to, just to set off fireworks. That's the first thing he does after his uncle explicitly said not to do. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's 
poor choice on his part, which also seeing the scene of him just like out there firing fireworks by himself, it's kind of sad thinking of the fact that his best friend's dead. His other friend had to move away. Like he doesn't have anyone else. So this is the only fun he's having is by himself at night out there launching fireworks (laughs) with like no one. Right. But we get another great POV from the werewolf from the woods uh, approaching this bridge. And he ends up kind of approaching Marty. He goes in for the attack. And this was quick thinking on Marty's part to kind of fire like a bottle rocket or like a Roman candle or whatever it is. And somehow nails him right in the eye. Yeah, he kept his cool very like he kept a cool head in that situation. Like I'd be shitting my pants and not able to do anything except try to run away but he's like i want to defend myself with this with the rocket <laughs> he does a great job unhand me scoundrel he's got, Unga- on guard got, got balls of steel <laughs> marty pulls out a snub you nose. see a mythological monster just <laughs> coming at you and you're like well it's time to shoot <laughs> so yeah i he felt gets- his terror though like his like he he, he sold it I mean, the writing was that he had to shoot a rocket, and he did his best. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, this this was always fun for me. I think this is a very... I think the nightmare scene is when the movie goes from, like, part one to part two. It's a very hard change for the rest of the movie in terms of, I feel like, a lot of these scenes. Because now we're starting to see the werewolf more. Um, it seems to be a little bit more in terms of the... I don't know, some of the the decision making, (laughs) like Marty firing this thing here. But I like how we end up going back. Marty ends up calling Uncle Red. This is when we see him in bed with Wild Turkey on his nightstand and with some other woman in bed with him, which we don't know. Like, is that the woman he's getting the divorce from? Is this another woman that's going to be like the new one? Uh, Yeah, the creature of the night. The creature of the night. (laughs) So Marty ends up explaining all of this. Uncle Red, very nicely, uh, for somebody who just got woken up at like three o'clock in the morning, tells him, go to bed. <laughs> and then I just love, gotta... like, it, it, a movie trope of just, when you see him pull in and then climb into the bedroom window, which worked past the that, fact that he's I was going to say, like, he, like he this, did the, muscle his way back up there. <laughs> but the spotlights that were as bright as the sun lighting up the road in the backyard because this was supposed to be middle of the night and you can easily tell that there's just huge floodlights aiming up into the trees. Well, they live on a compound. Clearly. (laughs) His parents are doomsday preppers. (laughs) So, because Uncle Red... himself back up to to his uh, room. It's all that adrenaline. Yeah, he just slapped both palms on the ground and just launched... (laughs) So Uncle Red doesn't believe him at this point, but the next day Marty fills in Jane on all of this. And I like how quickly she's just like, I don't believe this werewolf thing, but I see the look on his face and I believe that something has to be up. So she goes along with it and kind of works with him. And this is when she does her bottle charity door to door thing. So she's collecting bottles and cans. She's going door to door and her sole job right now is she's trying to find out is there anybody in town who's now missing an eye seeing as Marty says he shot somebody in the eye last night? So I like how she goes to the first door and it's like this uh, older couple and both of them have both eyes. That's great. She goes into like the, the barber shop 
um, and ends up asking like, oh, hey, I'm here for bottles and cans. And the guy says, oh, Toby Witchlaw came by and already collected all of them, which I wanted her to be like, Toby Witchlaw, the better stay in his lane and there's about to be another werewolf attack. <laughs> Get out of my territory. Say my name. <laughs> so I like how... Um, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> So she walks over and she's checking uh, one of the guys who has kind of the, the hot cloth on his face, which looked to be Mutton Chop Andy. Oh, it is Andy for sure. Yeah, which like Mutton for the, the guy who runs his mouth and gets everybody out in the woods and they get killed, like, he sure is cantankerous despite getting half the town killed. <laughs> it's like, you, you think you would kind of be a little nicer just so everybody kind of smooths over the fact that, oh, yeah, I got like seven people killed. He did take it, um, you know, he didn't lash out at her for coming over, removing the hot towel from his face and just like, <laughs> but he just giving that cold, that hard stare, like as soon as the towel's off, like just, what are you doing? She is, I mean, she so is older than Marty, but at the same time, like she is just a kid. That's yeah. true. So it's not the like guy's he's going to be rude. Yeah. yeah. The guy's a dick, but he at least knows not to, you know, put down children like that. Yeah. He just kind of mutters like, Jesus Christ, as she leaves. <laughs> what if she, she undoes the towel? He's dead. <laughs> he also, <laughs> you look out the window, you just see the werewolf running away. How do you do this one? Where the barber turns in, she looks back and the barber is the werewolf. <laughs> you found me out. He's been poisoned. <laughs> uh, so... After, like, she walks into other places, like, she goes to this diner and whatnot, and everybody's sitting there at the stool just kind of stares at her with, like, stone faces, and she's like, oh, does anybody have bottles and cans? And they just stare at her instead of answering, and she has to go down and ask, like, one guy on, oh, do you have it? And it's like, no. Why is everybody in this town all of a sudden, like, so rude to her other than that one barber? Yeah. I thought that was the bar. And they were just like, why is a kid in the bar? And they were giving her shit because of it. Oh, I thought it was. Oh, it might be the. Because it's, it's, it's just the bars, one of the established the locations. So, yeah, because it I, looked narrower I guess I than just, the bar. I kind of took it as the filmmakers trying to be like, with that slow moving shot, they're just her paranoia being like, am I going to find this werewolf? And like, it's like <laughs> she walks in like everyone has eye patches just with that shot. They kind of made him weirder, but <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> it, was a, it was a big Roman candle fight last night. We all lost our eyes. <laughs> our left eyes. All of our left eyes. So. And then she comes upon. So big reveal. We end up going to the church. Not so big. Even reveal. Um, so we end up coming to the <laughs> church. We have Reverend Lowe facing the camera. We have Jane behind him. And so when he looks up from his work, we see he, bum, 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 has a patch over his eye uh, because of a wound. So, coincidence? Maybe. So we already kind of knew this at this point. It wasn't really revealed to us. So I don't really know why they did the music change, like, dun-dun. Like, he's the werewolf. Yeah, we knew he was the werewolf, like, 15 (laughs) minutes ago. (laughs) But still, like, it's... If they held off the like if they didn't do the nightmare scene granted it was cool seeing all the werewolf transformations but like nick said like it was a point where the mystery aspect is kind of fun figuring it out to just throw it out there like that is a little too obvious it kind of takes some of the fun away 
So yeah. when we get to yeah. a reveal like this, it would have been more effective at that point. I really feel they should have cut that whole nightmare sequence. And it felt so campy compared to the rest of the movie. Like, yeah, it had some like funny bits that weren't fully appropriate, but at least it just broke the like tension. Yeah. And that's what made those comedic bits a bit more funny. But that was just like, what the fuck is this? Like, it just made no sense completely out of context. Like, yeah, he's holding the sermon for this funeral, but why is everyone acting so funny and going over the top? It just didn't make sense. Yeah. I don't know the implication of if there was an implication when she opens the garage. You know, Reverend's like, oh, you got the donation cans. Like, take them to the garage. And it's just like a hoarder level of cans and well, bottles inside the uh, I expected the I, bodies the to be under the cans. She found the baseball bat, but I was expecting there to actually been like an arm or a severed arm or something to be right. in there. Right. Then it would have made sense why you're uh, how you're like hiding bodies, but I just don't understand well, why. The only thing is he hasn't all this. He hasn't been quiet about any of the murders so far, and it doesn't seem like Right. He, it's not like he's eating them, so he's not bringing them back. It just seems like everybody is just murdered, they're dead, and then he just leaves the scene. Right. I think he just had the bat just as a, I don't know, like yes. a souvenir. Yeah, that's what I took. Like, he just, like, he walked home with it as a werewolf. <laughs> as walked a werewolf. Home. <laughs> just hitching. Just walking out, showing a little, showing a little leg. I need to go as far like as Tucker's Mill. <laughs> so, also, um, the note I wrote is... She's dropping off the bottles and cans. They open the garage, filled with bottles and cans. What's his end game? If they're collecting these for some sort of charity thing, he does know he needs to bring them somewhere else, right? <laughs> like, they, they don't end at this garage. Yeah, I don't get when why he didn't put money? more into, like, bags. You see, like, in the corner of one shot, there are some bags. But why aren't you just doing that as you receive them? Instead of just, oh, dump them in the corner and I'll figure it out later. That's why I really thought there were like body parts in the the can pile because you heard all the flies and stuff. And I figured like, oh, it's just soda cans and stuff. They're attracted to that. When in reality, there's something darker beneath it. But guess not. Yeah, I I, I thought it seemed like they were building up to a body part reveal. Then it was just the bat. And it just made me ask more questions like, okay, it's just he's hoarding these cans for some reason. And anyway. Yeah, which I like how. So she's looking through the cans as she's putting everything in there, and she finds the chewed up, like, peacemaker baseball bat that we saw that the bartender had. So now she definitely knows that it's Reverend Lowe and something's up with him. So Reverend Lowe enters the garage behind her, and I like how she plays it off like nothing's fine with dumbfounded fear in her eyes and sweat. Why, Jane? You're trembling. I feel well. I think maybe I got too much sun. Well, would you like to come in the parlor and lie down for a bit? No. Or have a cold drink. I have some soda. I think I should get home and help my mom with dinner. I'll give you a ride. No. Like, <laughs> wide eye. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Oh, do you want maybe a, a soda? You're, I have ice cold soda. You're trembling. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, then I'll give you a ride home. No, 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 no. You don't have to give me a ride home. I'll walk. So Okay, is everything our, okay? P- perfect. For our listeners that have not actually seen the movie and are still listening along, the Peacemaker bat is not a brand of bat. The bar owner had actually carved the word carved. Peacemaker into the bat, 
So when she sees that, she knows immediately, like, oh, it's not just like another Jose Canseco bat this guy happens to have. It's <laughs> an action. Spend money on that, <laughs> right? Um, since he carved that word into it, she knew without a doubt this was the bar owner's bat. It wasn't just like the same model kind of thing. Yeah. So this was like the smoking gun that it's definitely Reverend Lowe. Yeah. She's had a few run-ins with the. Uh, it's like I carry the bat around t- town. She's too young to go into. Well, she does just barge into Asper collection, so I guess she's visit the <laughs> he's, bar occasionally. He's chased her out many a time. This is Peacemaker. You've <laughs> seen it before. <laughs> do you have any bottles to do? Oh! <laughs> Trump's running out from behind the bar. If you ever come here for charity again. <laughs> then comes my favorite shot of the movie. Oh, g- go ahead. Oh, you want me? Oh, go ahead, dude. Yeah. Well. If we tell anyone. Grown-ups, I mean. They'd laugh. What are we going to do? I think I know. She reports her findings to Marty, and Marty's wise idea is to have her start sending um, serial killer-type messages (laughs) to the Reverend that say, I know who you are. I know what you are. Why don't you just kill yourself? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's like cut out of but letters it, and magazines yeah yeah it's magazine serial killer style letters and it just it made it's this got a huge I just pictured laugh it as a me. bully like he's bullying the reverend like this is a yourself. 1970s twitter post in actual <laughs> an actual form Oh, I God, mean, it just got me. He goes to this idea so quickly. It's not like, oh, what do we come up with? It's like, <laughs> I know what we have to do. <laughs> it's a, like I'm almost wondering, did he just already have this note? And they just were like, I already put the work in, sent it to him. <laughs> I was going to send this to Brady before he got killed. <laughs> you know how hard it is to find all these letters? <laughs> So to steal the met, steal the newspaper from Dad every morning. <laughs> so this is when they tell Uncle Red as a group, and he reacts appropriately. And also he says, "What is this? Hardy Boys meets Reverend Werewolf." And I know he's saying it like because it's ridiculous, but I also know that would be the most checked out book in my library if that existed. <laughs> <laughs> Abbott and Costello meet the Reverend Werewolf. Um, so yeah, I like, like how you kids are like crazy sending a death threats to the reference. <laughs> yeah. You don't understand. I understand that my niece and my nephew are sending little love notes to the local minister suggesting that he gargle with broken glass or eat a rat poison omelet. Um, yeah, gargling. <laughs> gargle with broken glass. So I actually I do like Red's solution is rather than just being like, no, stop, this is ridiculous. He not only tells him like I don't believe it. This is ridiculous. But then he says, they get in the car. He drives them to the church just to show them, like, there's the reverend. He is not a werewolf. He is perfectly fine. So, like, stop being crazy. (laughs) Which, I think at this point, I wouldn't necessarily tell people or adults that he's a werewolf. They would probably be more apt to help you and do something if you're like, no, I think he's a killer rather than he is a werewolf. Seeing as all these murders have been happening, it's like, yeah, he attacked me, if you know who it is, and just be like, yep, he attacked me, and I got him in the eye with something. Oh, there he is, and he's missing an eye. Right. 
Case closed. Like, I never understand it in movies when people are getting attacked by something or something's following them. So they'll go to, like, the adults or they'll go to somebody and then they give them the truth without dumbing it down. It's like, don't give them the most ridiculous version. Give them a more realistic version. All you need is their support. (laughs) Like, don't call the cops being like, oh, a guy escaped from my dreams and he's attacking me. It's like, no, just say like. There's somebody after me. Yeah, there's somebody after me. Get the cops over here. It's like, okay, then the cops show up. Oh, they got Freddy Krueger. Yada, yada. Like, you don't need to tell them the realistic version or the uh, the unrealistic version. Right. There's a robot sent from the future trying to kill me. Like, all right, lady. Yeah. There's a man that showed up and he has a gun. Oh, we're on our way. Thank you. (laughs) I do want to say they, um, when she mails that letter about like killing himself, they show the reverend like reading the letter, (laughs) but he looks more like stone faced, like I'm going to have to kill these kids because they know my secret. (laughs) I thought it'd be funny if it just zooms in and he's like crying, like a tear (laughs) down his cheek. (laughs) Or it's like Robin Hood men in tights when it's like, why don't we bring the dummies into battle? And he looks at the screen and just does the, huh, (laughs) just reads the note. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe. Nah. I'll just kill him. So we get the, so he shows them uh the Reverend. They end up going back home. They call and call it a day. And then this is when we see the the next scene. They're outside of like a baseball field, and it's kind of a nice break in the action. And this scene of Marty kind of watching all of these kids run around, all these kids play baseball. And it's kind of sad seeing him just kind of knowing that. He's watching them and is kind of envious of the fact that he can't do any of these things, which I like how you would think that these kids, it would be like, oh, typical, like a maybe a bullying thing. But they end up looking at Marty and they're like, oh, hey, we're done. We're going to do something else. Like, you want to come hang out with us? And it's, oh, hey, like, these are pretty decent kids. They're better than Brady. Yeah. (laughs) Want to go fly a kite? Oh, yours got stuck in a tree. That sucks. Yeah, I'm gonna go. Mine's still awesome. I'm gonna live forever. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) I like how, as we have the scene of Marty watching them, like the Reverend is slowly creeping up on him in his car. Which yeah, around the shed. Like, what is it? A Prius? Like, how does he not know? Like, how does he not hear this thing coming around and driving like behind him? Um, Say, how did he get? How did he get back there? Like, strategically. You had to dismantle and rebuild his car behind that garage. (laughs) Piece by piece. So Marty ends up kind of seeing this, uh, and rather he doesn't see him. He ends up deciding to go home. While he's driving, he ends up seeing the Reverend following him, and they go into a chase. At which point, like, Marty ends up going onto a bridge. He tries to get run off the bridge. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he ends up, like, uh, going off slightly onto the bridge pulling himself back on, gets knocked off the other side of the bridge, pulls himself back on, and then escapes and ends up finding this, uh, like, broken down overhang bridge. Like a covered um, bridge, yeah. Yeah, where they have the sign, like, bridge out or something like that, or, like, bridge closed off. Yeah. And Marty looks down and he sees that he's running out of gas, which is the second time in this movie that he has not kept track of his resources. Ah, <laughs> foreshadow. Yeah. Yeah. So, his vehicle just happens to kind of die going into this thing and it just comes to a complete stop and the reverend casually parks gets out of his vehicle and this is when he comes inside to kind of kill marty we're assuming which it's amazing how earlier in the movie and then comparing it to later in the movie 
Everett McGill, just giving him the eye patch and a five o'clock shadow completely transforms his character. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I actually, <laughs> I actually have that written down that he is completely different now versus the, his whole demeanor is just very different now versus the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Like I always liked Everett McGill as an actor and I think it's pretty good as far as him to be like, yeah, no, you can definitely see the, the pre nightmare scene reverend and the post nightmare scene reverend. And it's, you can tell he's getting off kilter now. No, I think it's just the, uh, the trolling letters that he kept getting mailed. She kill yourself <laughs> furry. Well, what we didn't see is that wasn't the only letter. Yeah. Marty's that, been sending these for a year and a half before the first killing. <laughs> Ever or the, the Reverend Everett McGill ends up coming in. He's talking to Marty about how he saved the other girl's soul by killing her before she can kill herself and all of this. And then I like how all of this eloquent speech. And then he's like, you meddling little shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just breaks at that point. You see how all things serve the will and the mind of God. You see, you meddling little shit. You're going to have a terrible accident, Marty. You're going to fall in the river. Luckily, Marty ends up seeing somebody, I think it was Mr. Tillerman or something like that. Some guy the on farmer, like a tractor going by. Yeah. yeah, and he starts screaming for him. I really didn't think he would actually hear it. He's on a tractor and the kid is easily like 100 feet away. Inside. Yeah. Inside. I mean, maybe you can just... <laughs> is it just everybody in the town can detect when Marty's in trouble? Yeah, it's like Marty. a Jimmy Olsen situation. So, I'm in danger. <laughs> <laughs> Chuckles, I'm in danger. Say you, Marty. Hey, yeah. yo, Marty. <laughs> Is that you too, Reverend? It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing weird here. Back to my tractor. No, so I'm just Marty, a weird drifter. <laughs> well, in the book, he kills a drifter that we don't have in this movie. So one of the uh, months is he just like finds and kills a drifter. Don't know the details to that. Just there you go. So he ends up getting help from this guy. Clearly he's run out of gas again. Not the first time this has happened to Marty. The guy makes a couple jokes with him. And then we cut back to them trying to convince Uncle Red again. Ah, but this time they have evidence. Yes. And what is that evidence? Paint. Paint? Paint? It is paint. Yeah. Paint. Reverend going hard in the paint. Car paint. Good thing. So. It's a lot yeah. better than somebody's word that the fucking priest is a vampire. Uh, priest is a werewolf. A priest is a vampire. That would be something. You know, it, it does make sense, too. Like, you could have just said that the priest is the killer. Just remove the whole werewolf bit. And, of course, yeah. it would make a lot more sense. And now by saying, like, yeah, look, see? He fucked up my bike. He tried to run me off the road, which I thought was a little bullshit because you mean to tell me that his little piece of shit car couldn't run down a dirt bike? Well, we don't know how fast <laughs> that even goes. T- That's true. He was told not to tell his mother, so. Because uh, I, I don't remember specifically, but I feel like when he was on a joyride, did he end up, like, passing a car? Yes. I was good. I figured, I figured he was probably going, like, 30 or 40. Yeah, and the car just wasn't going fast. Yeah. What if he has, like, the Dominic Toretto Nas boost in it? <laughs> Probably does. <laughs> Marty lives what his if, life um, a quarter mile at a time. What if Reverend's about to kill him, and he's like, 
I can't let you live. You've discovered my secret. That I'm a vampire. <laughs> wait, wait, vampire? There's a werewolf loose in town. Oh, shit. A werewolf? Oh, shit. Oh, God. <laughs> we have to stop him. We gotta team up, Marty. <laughs> Werewolves are my mortal enemies. Um, I, I was gonna say, a brief aside, when you mentioned my mortal enemies... I remember an episode of, I think it was like Ghost, the real Ghostbusters or something like that, where they ended up coming out of town where there was like a war going on between werewolves and vampires, but the werewolf would scratch the vampire and then the vampire would turn into a werewolf and then there were vampires biting werewolves and they were turning into vampires that and they're just really switching familiar, back and forth. Actually. I think I've seen that. My mortal like enemy. memory. <laughs> Sorry, Nick, go ahead. So with. The paint transfer on the the bike, you can see where it's all dent up because it was hit by the reference car. This is enough for at least Red to bring it to the police. And that's when he sits down with Locke and tells him, like, hey, there's something going on with the, the Reverend. You need to go check it out. And if I'm not mistaken, he does drop the whole werewolf bit. He just says that, like, he, this guy's after my nephew, right? Yeah, like, Red's the only smart one out of that group. <laughs> yeah, because, of course, the police will know exactly what to do against werewolves as well as deranged killers. So, at least, you know, good for, good for Red, at least, too, to give the police some kind of lead because they really had nothing leading up to this point. We didn't even see an investigation at this point. It was just like, oh, we're going to get our man. What? <laughs> the only thing we've seen you do is charge into a bar and tell people to calm down. <laughs> you people yeah, yeah. to go home i don't remember deputizing a single one of you that's right joe the only deputy you got is that fat shit bag beside you and neither one of you has done anything about solving this case we'll catch him you couldn't catch a cold and your deputy get into fist fights so the only thing i don't get is like all right he has this new evidence he's going to investigate why does he have to do it in the middle of the night by like, himself yeah and breaking and entering no less and it's not even like he tells anybody, oh, I'm going to investigate the Reverend. It's like, nope. It's like that night he just shows up by himself in the still of night. And originally I thought it was like, oh, he's going to try to sneak in kind of deal. But then he lights up a cigarette, walks over and just knocks on the front door. And it's like, Reverend. And it's like, okay. Are yeah, you the because- killer? <laughs> <laughs> Is it you, the killer? So, yeah, a- like, of course, the guy's not going to answer. You're probably knocking on this door at like midnight or 11 o'clock at night. So then that's when he decides to like walk around the side and then he ends up opening up the garage and finds a lot of the bottles and cans that have not been properly handled by charity. The real crime. The real crime. That's actually what they brought him in on. It's like Al Capone with tax evasion. <laughs> they ended up walking through and that's when he ends up, uh, I think, was it he ends up finding the the bat as well or he ends up getting surprised by the reverend yeah he sees the car damage and then he gets surprised that's what by it was the reverend. yeah the reverend had the bat on him the whole time which also i like how this garage no lock he just walks up well the only lock was stereo <laughs> um so this garage he just walks up and just opens and just walks in like a 70s small town america you don't I have mean, to lock your doors he's the most dangerous thing in town who's he gonna hide from uh, true <laughs> Actually, yeah, that's that's what are you true. gonna do? Rob me? Oh boy! <laughs> so I like how the Reverend surprises him, 
And then he pulls the gun on the Reverend, tells him, like, we have to go in, I'm, like, you're under arrest, yada, yada. And then the Reverend proceeds to transform into a werewolf, and he just hangs out while it happens. Oh, he's, uh, I guess he's, Reverend swings and smacks the gun out of his hand, so it takes him by surprise. Then he starts to transform, so the Reverend's like, oh, shit. He does just wait, the reverend was like, oh shit. For a second. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit. I'm the werewolf. <laughs> oh shit. I just got a cop. I'm in big trouble. <laughs> I have priors. <laughs> he just gets in his car and takes off. <laughs> no one will ever sheriff, believe you. Uh, yeah. And then the sheriff, sheriff starts sending him letters. Terrified. He's kind of in shock. Which I thought I was like, come on, like do something. But I guess he is seeing a werewolf transform. You're kind of like, I can't look away, and I don't have my gun. And then he just gets, and then he immediately, the werewolf bashes him over the head with a baseball bat. So he doesn't really have too much time to make a move. Well, like he has like a Lucille style head wound on his head, and like laying there, <laughs> conscious still though. Like I just would have loved to. If you see something like this happen and they smack your gun out of your hand, run. Run. I know. Yeah, you want to say that. There's a part of me where it's like, how would you react? I guess you'd look at it for a second like, oh my god, this dude is turning and he's transforming. But then by then it was too late. He gets he gets smacked I, with the bat. Right I mean, honestly, there. if I snuck in, as soon as the reverend, like I looked at the car and then I look up and the reverend's standing there, I would have run at that point. <laughs> <laughs> You caught me. Or raise the gun. Get away. Don't let him be in striking distance, you know. Just fire a warning shot into him. (laughs) He was coming right for me. (laughs) Good thing uh, Sheriff, uh, what's his name, Joe Halloran was a Lone Ranger fan. All of his bullets are silver bullets. (laughs) Kills him with a Coors Light. Um, So... This is like I, I like the transformation in this scene. It's a lot of like the uh, like the bladder effects and whatnot of like the pulsing um, faces it transforms and stretches and all of that. Yeah, I was really which, impressed with it. Yeah, like I know the big ones. Like everybody always talks about like the Howling, American Werewolf in London. I do like this transformation in this movie, and I especially like like the the D transformation yeah, at bad. the end. I think the problem is the transformation is amazing, but the end result is like true. That's the part where it's like, oh, that looks really cool. And now you look like an oversized Ewok. Like, it just doesn't follow through. It was interesting how they used the bladders to make it look like his face was protruding, but it would cut away at the right times to your mind fills in the blanks to like, oh, his, you know, his face is growing in that area. And I thought that was really well done. Yeah, I think they do, for the most part throughout the movie, they do benefit from like a less is more kind of approach on a lot of things. So, yep, and then poor Terry O'Quinn gets got. <laughs> not slashed, not bitten, but just beaten with a bat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which actually, this is what, so that means he killed the bartender with a bat and he kills him with a bat. So that means yeah. they're probably at this point, the deputy's looking for some sort of animal attacks and some serial killer who has killed two people in town <laughs> with a baseball bat. It's really covering his tracks here. <laughs> It is a very well trained. The next one by poison, the next two by hanging. <laughs> it's like a regular Agatha Christie out here. So we go back to the, the kids with Uncle Red, and this is the point where they decide 
here's our necklaces, like here's our jewelry thing, made of silver, make us a silver bullet. I laughed at this part because it's like kids, they he made a motorcycle, but not it's not like he's in his garage hammering away like Iron Man creating this thing in the back like he just assembled the parts and he just threw it all together they where's he gonna make a bullet out of but then the whole bit with him going so he takes this the necklace all the silver pieces they give him and he goes to the ne- the nearest like gun shop and the gunsmith there i love that actually that whole bit it's like, I hey my nephew just discovered the lone ranger and uh, do you think, and without even skipping a beat, the, the gunsmith is just like, you want a silver bullet, don't you? Like, yeah. that was fucking cool. Like, that is probably the easiest way to, like, yo, can you make a silver bullet? And everyone would be like, why the fuck would you want that? But I didn't grow up with the Lone Ranger. So the fact that that whole thing panned out as smoothly as it did, because I didn't know where that was going, was smooth as fuck. 10 points to fucking Gary Busey for that one. This will be the third silver bullet I've made today. <laughs> for the same reason. <laughs> Somebody came in here, the kid started to like Lone Ranger. A reverend dropped off all this silver and asked me to melt it down and discard it. <laughs> so I like how even though Uncle Red thinks all of this is ridiculous, if he knows this is going to make his niece and nephew feel better, so he decides to do this anyway. And then I like how, first of all, I don't know gun shops. I'm not a gun person. If you show up at a gun shop for a gunsmith, can you just ask them to make you custom bullets? <laughs> like, here, melt all this down for me and make me a bullet? Well, see, that's the thing. That's why I thought, like, all right, this is really clever, because instead of asking for a custom bullet, he was asking for a custom prop that had some kind of meaning behind it. So I'm sure the gunsmith was probably also a huge fan, so it kind of got him the in. But the thing that kills me is that I sincerely doubt he would make and cast that bullet, but have actually, it would not be a live round. Yeah, to be fireable. It's a 44 caliber fucking bullet that you're meant to give to a child? I don't think so. He would have put that <laughs> shit in a normal casing with no gunpowder. <laughs> no way. Well, I like the, like the bullet making montage. For, like It was always cool uh, watching him work on melting it down and putting in and casting it and all of that. It reminded me of when they're making the bullets during the montage in Monster Squad. But the thing that I also thought was cool is the fact that after all of this is done, and then Uncle Red even admits, like, ah, yeah, it's just all some big joke. He's like, what are you even going to do with a silver bullet? And then the guy, like, without missing a beat, looks him dead in the eye. He's like, how about a werewolf? But the way he says it isn't, like, as a joke. It's like... Has this guy fought werewolves before? <laughs> Is he the original werewolf? I want to see more of the gunsmith. Yeah, like the gunsmith was such a cool character. Dean, you look pensive. Oh. oh, is this because you said you stopped taking notes as the movie went on? <laughs> <laughs> he's listening intently because he's like, I didn't see any of this. <laughs> he's what still watching. Next? He, he's- <laughs> yeah. You see, like, the screen flickering on his face. Hold on, hold on. And I like how he then transitioned to a wide shot. And um, <laughs> so I like how this, I, in, in the original book, it ends on New Year's Eve. In this, it ends on Halloween. Why we're releasing this on 4th of July uh, weekend rather than Halloween, I think it's just because at one point the fireworks get canceled. So that'll work. So they're on Halloween 
and then they fell asleep to the national anthem being played on TV. Yep. I uh, play ball. <laughs> I like that the wolf waited for the national anthem to finish before attacking. That's very patriotic. Hands outside and he has one <laughs> hand over his heart. <laughs> I may be a werewolf, but I'm a patriot first, sir. <laughs> So, <laughs> Uncle Red is one of my, like, favorite adults in horror, because just for the fact that all of this stuff, he doesn't believe in werewolves, still makes the bullet. He even pays to send the parents away, because he tells them, like, oh, I won a publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes, I got, like, this vacation thing, you can have it. And then I they ask him afterwards, like, what? I forgot those were a thing. Yeah, and they even ask him afterwards, like, did he really win a trip to New York from publisher's clearinghouse? No. But the moon is full, and your parents are gone, and I did win a subscription to Popular Mechanics. So it's like he paid to send them away just so he can be here with the niece and nephew just to hopefully give them a little bit of peace of mind, which, great. So they're watching, and as you said, end of uh, broadcast back in the day when everything, like, you hit a point of the night where the station shuts off. It ends up going, plays the national anthem, and then you have just static, which now content is an infinite void. So the werewolf, Uncle Red even mentions, it is 10 to 3 in the morning. So that means the werewolf attacks at 2.50 in the morning on November 1st. I was going to say, he has terrible gun safety like discipline. <laughs> he does. Oh, is it because he slept with the barrel in his mouth? <laughs> That's why the wolf showed up. He was trying to save him from suicide. (laughs) He's got a loaded gun. Yeah, he falls asleep within his lap. It falls. And then when he gets up and like turns around, he's holding the gun gun and he's like pointing it at them. (laughs) Like he doesn't have you you know, you should have it either down or up or away. He's pointing it at them while he's talking to them, like, holy shit, Gary Busey. The thing I don't get is that you're really dumb. He got the bullet. He, what rather let, let's back up he went to the police he got the bullet he had he got the gun assuming he didn't have a gun to go with it he sent his parents away they sleep all night and then finally he decides you know what this is stupid and he pulls out the bullet from the gun like this is not gonna be this is this is <laughs> this was a mistake like you got that deep in to decide finally like no I'm not gonna do this anymore a very familiar feeling it's beginning to come over me what? I'm beginning to feel like a horse's ass. That's what. <laughs> he's been drunk the whole time. And he's finally really sobered up. He and finally then, so his moment of clarity. Like there's no werewolf that's gonna show up. This whole thing is stupid. And then the the camera cuts and you see the werewolf pull the the like the uh, the electrical wire from the fuse box and all the lights go out. And then he's like, Oh, a fuse. It must have went out. Like, are you serious? You're expecting a werewolf attack. It's the middle of the night. There's no planned or reasonable, like, why the power would go out. And you think it's just the fuse? He deserves what happens next. You see, like, logical explanation for this. furry hands and black leather gloves with wire cutters cutting the power to the house. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, though, go back and watch this scene. He, he picks up the gun that he drops because he was sleeping. <laughs> He turns to face him. He's waving it around. Then he goes and grab, like he has the gun in his hand, and he 
It's pointing forward. He grabs the handles of Marty's wheelchair and is pushing him with the gun in his hand, like facing him. <laughs> it's just so like nonchalant with a damn gun in his hand. It just it it stuck out to me. It was funny. It was a different time. I mean, hey, he gave a child fireworks. <laughs> Those are illegal in some states. Yep. I like how Jane looks out the window and sees a flash of the werewolf, so she screams. And I like how Gary Busey reacts like he's actually startled. And I don't know if that's just like they didn't tell him that she was going to scream at some point in the scene. But he actually looks over like, whoa. I love how he's yeah. like, did you see anything, Marty? And he's like, no, I was looking at you. Yeah. They clearly were having eye contact. But it was the girl that saw it. So just seeing that really made me laugh. Which I like how then they hear the noise and they both look over into the hallway into the next room that's like dark and they're kind of like the music's building and they're setting it up like this camera's moving in like there's something in that room and then all of a sudden from the wall behind Uncle Red like the Kool-Aid man the werewolf just bursts through the entire wall behind him. I like how they kind of set you up for that misdirection of oh there's gonna be something over here and boom from behind. You know, if this was D&D when the monster attacked, Busey was caught flat-footed with a defense roll of one. <laughs> because just the way that he loses everything in his hands, the bullet goes flying and it goes into the, the air vent. Just worst timing ever. <laughs> I mean, the only thing worse would have been if he got startled, dropped the gun, and it shot Marty. <laughs> 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 the, the werewolf just looks at him, just gives like the uh, Jeremiah Johnson nod to him, and then walks out of the house. <laughs> They shot you. Marty in the spine. It reversed his paralysis. <laughs> Marty gets up and runs after him. He digs the bullet out of his spine and slingshots it at the wolf's eye. Um. <laughs> Just like it. So <laughs> I like how for a normal man, Uncle Red then goes toe-to-toe with this werewolf, mano a mano, while they try to fish the bullet out of the air vent. Yeah. He's the only one that stands a chance, like stood up to the to werewolf. Yeah. For more than two seconds. Yeah, I mean, he's like fist fighting it. He's grabbing like the fire poker. He's getting thrown through stuff. Yeah. Which I think, I don't know if it's true, but I I remember reading like Gary Busey did some of the stunts in this scene. So it's actually him getting thrown. Flying at the wall. Yeah. Yeah. I heard it fucked him up too a little bit. Like he caught glass in his arm. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think in one scene where it's supposed to be, I think, like the fake glass or something, but it still punctured him. So you see the glass sticking out of his arm. It's so like Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Django, little Dang, different context, Dang, but Dango. yeah, Dango. Dango. <laughs> Dango and Jane. So they finally get the bullet out while he's just shellacking Uncle Red. Throws the bullet into the pistol and Marty shoots him perfectly in the other eye. One in a million shots. The other eye. The thing that kills Why me too eye? is I know enough about guns with the power of that shot should have put a hole in the kid's head from just the recoil alone (laughs) a 44 magnum yeah a 44 magnum the kid is not strong enough to hold this pistol so it definitely would have oh i didn't realize they had a 44 magnum yeah that's like a a clint eastwood situation you see the size of the bullet (laughs) no i thought it was a rifle bullet honestly at first no i think what would have been even better if they have that and he does like a smile you son of a bitch scene to top off the jaws thing and then he fires and he just like shoots a lamp three feet to the left of it. 
And then it's just like a look of fear, and then it just cuts to the outside of the house, and you just hear him tearing through the three of them. Wow, Marty, that's a nice shot. Oh, I was aiming for his heart. Like, well, at least you still hit him. So it, Gary Busey's face on this scene when he's like grappling like with the the wolf, he just has this kind of like he's not scared. He's like, I could take you, you son of a bitch. <laughs> He's like got his tongue like contorted, like oh, I can figure this out. <laughs> I would I love if they it, never yeah. got the bullet and just Uncle Red just fights this thing to a draw. <laughs> the parents Uncle get home, it's daylight, off. he's still fighting him, he transforms back into a reverend <laughs> and he breaks his neck. Yeah, I'd really like to find like the aftermath of this movie. Like what how do what do they how do they explain yeah, this? So we get this fun detransformation scene of like the it's cool how like the hair pulls back into the body and all yeah. of this. And then as they said in Scream, the moment where the thought dead killer returns for one last scare. So the Reverend is laying there and then does like one <laughs> last whoa and then completely dies. Great. How are they going to explain a naked reverend with both eyes blown out (laughs) laying in the middle of their living room when the parents come home? Although considering that the police department is now that one deputy, I don't think they'll ever be tried. Yeah, I don't I don't even I I mean, it's pretty easy to explain considering there is the whole size of a werewolf in their living room. I guess there's a probably um, evidence at the reverend's place too, like the dead sheriff or wherever you put him. Oh, yeah, because no, that would be uh, the only killing that he did that was, like, human not property. left out somewhere. Yeah. Wait, right. did he turn it? Yeah, he did turn it into a werewolf for the the chief killing, right? Yeah, he turned he into a werewolf and then just still turned. built him Yeah, that. that's right, that's right. <laughs> he was still transforming <laughs> as gave him, like, a fatal blow. He turns into a werewolf, hits him with a bat, then he grabs the guy's hand, grabs his gun, <laughs> writes a note, and then shoots himself. Kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> It was the weirdest thing. He showed up at my house despondent and shot himself in my garage. So I do like I do like the last gag. Oh, Marty's joke. I really thought it was going <laughs> to yeah. go in a different direction. Like, guys, my leg really hurts. And it's like, oh, my God, you're, you're not paralyzed anymore. But no, instead, <laughs> it went the other way. Like, Marty, are you all right? All except for my legs. What? I don't think I could walk. <laughs> I think Marty's going to need years of therapy. <laughs> Clearly he won't, just for the fact that it's like, he just That's what shot, I mean. shot the same guy twice, and he's just like making jokes. Well, maybe That's he does. That's I mean. I feel like he's burying it with jokes. <laughs> no, like it's going gonna, it's gonna to wake up in a cold sweat some night and be like, oh, please, Lord, let it stop. Maybe, yeah. he, maybe he does get put into a psych ward because at the pretty much right before the credits roll, you hear the narrator one more time and it's his sister, much older saying like, yeah, that was the last time I think I saw him laugh or something like that's Like it's just such a just like, dark I, way of discussing it. Like, damn, what happened? See, to that the kid? was the craziest summer ever. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that was my college, uh, acceptance letter. Uh, that's what letter. I did on my summer vacation. I think the last um, line was something like, um, like, good night, Marty, I love you, or something like that. Yeah. Maybe they didn't explain away the thing with the reverend, and Marty took the rap for the killing. The deputy shows up, hauls him away in cuffs. He's in Supermax for the rest of his life. I wasn't always able to say that. But I can say it now. I love you too, Marty. Good night. Good night. 
<laughs> just got a lot of uh, unpaid speeding tickets. <laughs> we saw you on that silver bullet Mark II out there. You're going away for a long time. At the end, she just says, I wasn't always able to say it, but I can say it now. I love you too, Marty. Oh, <laughs> now yeah. That you've saved me from werewolf death. Yeah. So it's just, it's kind of a, an odd ending because it's like, I guess it's not directly anything bittersweet in terms of that narration, but it just seems odd. Like, who is she narrating to? Is she telling us the story? Is yeah. she reminding Marty? Like, I don't know. But I, I still, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. I it still wasn't love bad. this movie. It, I didn't. It like, was enjoy. It was yeah. enjoyable to watch. I didn't. I didn't hate it. It's just it. I. I did enjoy watching it, but just it's not my thing. Yeah, I mean, still to this day, even though I love the movie so much, there are so many things as far as like decisions made of why did you go investigate this at night by yourself, like those types of things. <laughs> yeah, but That's like true. it's yeah. it's great. So, does anybody have any any final movie. thoughts on Silver Bullet? I think if I were to watch it in its prime, like early 90s at the very least, I probably would have a deeper appreciation for it. Certain movies nowadays, it's it's tough to watch because it's just some have aged better than others. So like I laughed when like in the very beginning when the the drunk railroad man got his head severed and you saw it like flying through the air. Like I laughed because it's just it looked terrible, but like thinking back in the day when those effects were, you know, brand new at the time, I'm sure it would have looked a lot better and it would have set the tone a lot more. So I think it's just, it's more of a, I'm late to the party kind of feeling to it. I think it might also be a case of as time goes on and other movies that then build on things or like homages to things and whatnot, it's Okay, so you might have seen the psycho shower scene for the first time as it started that whole thing. It's like, yeah. But if you watch other movies later on, that's not shocking and new. It's no, yeah, this has been done a bunch of times. Like they, they mock or not, they didn't mock it, but they like they paid homage to the the psycho scene even in the beginning of like I don't know uh, Toby Hooper's Fun House where the kid is walking into the the shower or something like that. It's like you see these same types of tropes and these same types of ideas pop up later. So it's a case of it's not fresh and original because you've already seen this happen over the years for everybody else that might've grown up on these original things. And then, Oh yeah, I'm going to do a similar thing in my movie. I remember asking my mother years ago, like, Oh, what's your favorite scary movie? Which one really got you? And she was like the exorcist, you know, especially like when Reagan is like throwing up and stuff and like screaming and doing all of that crazy, like cursing against the priest, like it scared the shit out of her as a kid. And it's polarizing considering that like that scared her so much back then or like left such an imprint that like when I was finally of age enough to watch it, it had like no impression on me only because yeah. of just how much time has passed. And it's interesting to see that back then it had more of the desired effect than it would now. Still appreciative now, because I mean, it is a good movie considering, but at least um, for it being one of the first ones to do that type of stuff, it's really out there. Yeah. I mean, for example, like the when the first Blair Witch came out. Yeah. And that was like terrifying to audiences and all of this. And it was groundbreaking. I went like I never saw it around the time when it had come out. So I ended up watching it like 15 years later. And it was a case of, uh, 
Yeah, like, I mean, this style has been done since then, and I feel like the style's been done better since then. So, yeah, it's groundbreaking, but it ends up losing something for me that it doesn't get to have that impact because I have 15 years of other things that have come up in between that. So it's... No, I was going to ask, like, so what do you think is um, the new horror trope then? Um, I don't know what the... finger on the vein a lot more than we do, so... I don't know what the new horror trope necessarily is i feel like a lot more horror is going by way of like the the slow burn a24 style stuff like hereditary or um like any of the ari aster things um it's all of the more things are just slightly weird slightly off kilter and then going for like a fever pitch in the last 20 minutes kind of deal i feel like there's a lot more movies going that route I don't know if it's just a case of they saw the success of something like Hereditary or if it's a case of they know that they can keep budgets low because they don't need like a nonstop slasher movie of here's all these big kills and big scenes. It's we just have to set up this kind of creepy aesthetic. We just have to keep that ambiance going just to kind of build dread throughout the movie. So I I see a lot more kind of that slow burn independent horror these days. Hmm. Dean, you don't do much horror, right? Not your forte no, cup of tea. It's not my bag, baby. I'll I'll see horror on recommendations, and if it's like supposed to be a good movie as well, not just a yeah. So like you'll see hereditary genre because so many people have said, "Oh, this is amazing. You need to see it." Not like right. Oh, it's the new only horror because it's right. Yeah, and I, just be and I really don't do that with horror just because it's like not totally. My, my bag. Yeah. I'm not I, saying those, those, I'm not, uh, negating anybody. Obviously, those, I see there's a, you can like that. I mean, like, you like what you like. God damn it. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, not for me. But if it's, if it, if it bridges like out of the horror genre and just a, a good film overall, I'm like, yeah, I'll check it out. Well, that's how this Motley crew works because we all have our different bases covered and we overlap in specific areas. I'm not a horror person, but I seem to watch them a lot more than I realize. <laughs> like Tim, I want to diagram. I have a confession. It's I think the biggest reason I did not like this movie is because I'm a vampire person, and I just I, mean, I I don't care about werewolves. Like I've yet to see one good one that wasn't like evolution. Um, evolution. Evolution. Um, <laughs> fruit is, basket right here. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Um, the Kate Beckinsdale one, but like the oh, origin Underworld. one. Yeah, Underworld. Underworld. That's it. Underworld like, Evolution was one of the names, yeah. Uh, Rise of the Lycans. That one was fucking amazing. And it was a prequel, considering. Usually, prequels don't do well. But, yeah, that one was probably my favorite werewolf movie. And then outside of that, I really can't think of a one after. So now we just have to get a uh, a vampire movie picked. Uh, that's that's going to be tough. I think for me, horror is two categories. Like, non-scary horror. <laughs> like, I would consider this... I wasn't scared watching this movie. But it still classifies as a horror. And there's horror that actually makes me scared and uncomfortable, which I don't always really enjoy. So, <laughs> which is what I think of when I say, I don't like horror. It's like, I don't like being scared watching a movie. That's not my... So, Dean, when are we playing When are we playing Phasmophobia? Yeah, right. That, that's... I'll be the guy in the van. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. The seat's warm and ready for you. Dean's going to be the one cutting out the letters for the... Uh... <laughs> the letter he's going to send to the the ghosts. <laughs> to the ghosts. I know what you are. I know who you are. Why don't you just make yourself alive? Why don't you exercise yourself? <laughs> so, 
Uh, yeah, I think all in all, it's actually the, the next pick for me, seeing as we do a rotation, is going to be October. So we'll see what I come up with for the Halloween time. You son of a um, bitch, you planned this on purpose. It's going to be Mr. Boogity. Um, so <laughs> I, I can't wait. So for anybody out there that has seen Silver Bullet, anybody out there that grew up on it, uh, just likes it, either give it a shot if you haven't seen it. Let us know what your kind of memories are on it, if you ended up liking it, if you have seen it before, or if it's one of the ones that you like. Uh, But other than that, I think that rounds things out for this month of Screen Refresh. So thank you for joining us along. Catch us next week, or catch us on the third of Monday of the month for another episode of Rule of Thirds. We'll end up kind of deciding on whatever our next movie pick is going to be for the first Monday of August. Uh, But for Dean and Nick, this is Tim. I don't have a sign off. Oh, yeah, we don't. So this movie is not the one with Steve McQueen. I really, I really thought it was the, the Steve McQueen movie. And then I saw the moon and it talked about werewolves. I'm like, no, this is Tim's choice. Yeah, I'm stopping audio. Good night, everyone. Oh, that hurts my parts.